Hey, listener, thanks for checking out episode 109 of the Jock and Nerd podcast. We have another edition of a really fun ongoing series in collaboration with the Ginger Geek blog titled What the Fuck Happened, where we take a really bad superhero movie and try to figure out uh, what the fuck happened here exactly. Joining us is the ginger geek himself, Matt Delhauer, to give us one of his patented and highly entertaining recaps of the franchise-killing fourth movie in the original Batman franchise, Batman and Robin. That's right, listeners, strap on your bat nipples, strap yourself in, take a trip back in time to 1997 as we try to figure out what the fuck happened to Batman and Robin. It's the Jockey Nerd Podcast with your hosts, Anthony and Imran. Jockey Nerd! What's up, listener? Back at you once again. This is the Jock and Nerd Podcast. My name is Imran. My name's Anthony. He's the Jock! And he's the Nerd. Thanks for joining us on another awesome edition of uh, our ongoing series in collaboration with the Ginger Geek blogs. So that means featuring with us today is the Ginger Geek himself, the man who can who has just the, an art to point out the shitty and everything. Uh, Mr. Matt Delhauer, what's up, Matty? How's it going? <laughs> yeah, what's going on, guys? I, I, I'm hoping I can put that on either a business card or a resume now. <laughs> the man is- finds flaws in anything. <laughs> <laughs> man nitpicks his way through everything. <laughs> the best breakdown of shitty stuff you're going to hear anywhere, Lister, let I, me tell I've you. I've been looking forward to these. Every time he's on, I feel like I'm like a broken record because I always say I've been looking forward to ha- having Delhauer on. And again, this is another one where I'm looking forward to having this motherfucking redhead on for uh, some nitpicking. This is I our, have to yeah. say, I do have a little bone to pick with you guys, though. Uh-oh, bring uh, it. I'm a, I'm a little upset that I didn't get the call to be on your Marvel Universe haters guide. Oh. Oh, snap. Why didn't we think about Dalhauer? That's a good point. It should have been a given. The guy does the What the Fuck Happened series with us. That's true. And, uh, well, look, maybe we can uh, sneak that in in the post show or something. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you donate out to Patreon, you'll be able to hear maybe something. Who knows? That's we'll, a yeah, good we'll point. We, we should have went right to Delhauer. Well, I didn't know that he hated Marvel. Well, it's, you don't have to hate no. something to be able to hate on it. That's it's, true. We, I, that, that we performed a hater's guide. That's the, ha- the hater is an art, man. The yeah. art of hating. And Delhauer is one of the professors of uh, the school of uh, the art of hating. So I'm ready to get my bachelor's. <laughs> Let's go. Uh, listener, uh, you have heard Matt Delhauer. This is kind of – it's the third one, the second official with the title, What the Fuck Happened? Basically – the third one we're doing with this, him. Yes. This yeah. all started Jock and Nerd episode 41. Uh, where we did Why Spider-Man 3 Socks with Matt Dalhauer. That was great. And uh, you had a knack, Matt, and you wanted to continue doing these. Yeah. I mean, um, it was it was a lot of fun to do. It was a lot of fun to research. I didn't think that doing our second episode would have been as soul-crushing as it was. That one being of the amazing What the Fuck Happened to Fantastic Four from 2015. That's episode 75, listener, if you haven't heard that. I guarantee it is a thousand times more entertaining than watching the actual oh movie. Oh, my God, yes. yes. Don't even bother watching the movie. Just listen to Jock Nerd 75. And then we had you on the Jock Nerd 85, which was an awesome discussion of Man of Steel. It was a Man of Steel discussion that almost turned into a haters, like a what the fuck <laughs> it, happened sort of thing. It did almost, yeah. It was not intended uh, to be. We were trying to actually break down that movie, but uh, boy, we, we rode the line. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I think I was going to say I think that's probably one of the ones that led to your your haters guide to Marvel because oh, yeah. so many people were were upset at just how much we just bashed yeah. that movie and DC in general. Well, that followed up with our Batman versus Superman review. We're like, oh boy, all right, we have to balance this out a little bit. Yeah. And then we finally got Matt on to talk about something good, something positive, something he liked, and that was the Daredevil season two review. Episode. Which turned into me nitpicking about Daredevil. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we, I was going to say we threw in some some hate on that too. Listen, it's in the, it's in his blood. That's episode eighty nine. Uh, it's in his blood. What are you going to yeah. do? That's why you've seen the title for this one. This is going to be our awesome episode. What the fuck happened to? The film that killed the franchise. Oh, shit. Batman and Robin from 1997. I'm going to play this. We're going to get started. The Jock and Ned Podcast. Let me just set up this franchise killer. I was killer. nine years old when this movie came out. Ew. Lame. That, years old. You were how old? I was eight years old. Hell, you guys Imran was like 37. I was. <laughs> and he was sitting there with all the eight-year-old and nine-year-olds in the theater. <laughs> Uh, I was in college. Were you? <laughs> yeah. Do you know? Okay, fine. Never mind. <laughs> Anywho, this movie came out in 1997. It was directed by the lovely Joel Schumacher. Uh, oh, the lovely. <laughs> written with a script by Akiva Goldsman and, uh, you know, Bob Kane getting credit to write the characters. But I heard that he was around set a little, a, a lot. And so He apparently had some kind of say in how the script went. Oof. He was pretty much there going, yeah, that looks good. Yeah, no, keep this, that. And the man had to have been like in his 80s. Yes. So I just imagine him just sitting in his, like, I imagine him in a wheelchair just because that's how I imagine old people is in wheelchairs and invalid. Just like sitting on set, and they're like, "All right, we're about to do this scene," and just out of nowhere, he would yell like, "Neon lights!" And yes. Like, All right. That's. A, I think they let him art direct. He's like, "It needs more colors. It's too dark. I can't see anything. Can you make it any brighter?" People in all these dark rooms. <laughs> Can you make it any garish and brighter? Okay. That's this, the other thing. All all old people to me are also Stanley. <laughs> <laughs> they, they really are. This movie starring top billing contractually had to go to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, really? He of got course. the top billing? Similar. When the movie starts, the no. first name that comes up is Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, no shit. And if in the first Batman, it's uh, you see Jack Nicholson's name first. Oh, no kidding. So, mm-hmm. uh, so Mr. Peace well, you were Pease. You remember that vividly because you were 32 at that time. The first I Batman. was 26 years old. I just <laughs> got out of the war. And I was born, I think, four days before that movie <laughs> came out. <laughs> George Clooney, of course. This is a George Clooney Batman. I don't know why vehicle. you say, of course. This wasn't. This was his first Batman appearance. <laughs> as, well, as if like, oh, well, this was the seventeenth movie George just, Clooney it's, was it's, in the Batman. But it's just such a classically bad movie. I feel like everyone knows. Oh, the George Clooney yeah. horrible piece of shit Batman movie. Chris O'Donnell playing Robin for the of second course, time. Chris O'Donnell, mm. yeah. As if no one else, because no one else has. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ever since he's killed the role so much. <laughs> this movie killed a lot of things. His sideburns buried that role. <laughs> Uh, Uma Thurman is Poison Ivy, Dr. Pamela Isley. Alicia Silverstone is Batgirl. I remember when she was a, like a heartthrob. She was a thing with yeah, the, in the Clueless thing. era. She, yeah. she plays the late uh, 90s. Yeah. She's, yeah. Not, she's not Barbara Gordon. She's Barbara Wilson. Uh, nef- niece to the Michael Goes, Alfred Pennyworth, and Pat Hingles, Commissioner James Gordon. The only two motherfuckers to appear in all four goddamn movies. Really? Yes. Yep. Oh, Every, they were they were in all four ever since they did the first one in 1989. And the one last guy I'll mention is the guy who I kind of feel the worst for out of all of this whole cast 
is uh, WCW wrestler Jeep Swenson. Don't feel bad for him. He never had his face shown, right? Bane. He He never had his face shown, and apparently he died. Yes, later that year. a month after they finished filming this movie. Uh, He did not live long enough to see it go to theaters. Apparently, you got venom running through your veins. No, I read, (laughs) I, I just saw he was like 400 pounds. Yep. He was a big dude. Yeah, he uh, he apparently like a, a month after the movie died of like a massive heart attack. He looked like he had gangrene or something. What a horrible! Uh, just I felt so bad that he had to play that role. Anyways, this movie was made for an estimated cool one hundred twenty-five million dollars opening weekend in ninety-seven. June of ninety-seven makes a forty-two point eight million. Uh, it finishes domestically one hundred seven million and some change worldwide. $238 million. Now, to throw on top of that, they also apparently, another estimation, spent $15 million in marketing this movie. I'm, they must have made that back in toys alone because that's all this fucking movie is. I don't know. We'll see. Del Howard <laughs> will have the facts. And uh, it's that, all speculation on our side. With that, nerd. I'm going to hand it over to the ginger geek himself, Matt Del Howard, uh, Fade to Black. Fade to All black right. and then a redhead just shows up. <laughs> yeah, it just appears in front of you. It's, it's, like, it's like that moment when you know the devil's after your soul. <laughs> Fade to redhead. <laughs> Fade to red. There we go. Uh, well, I mean, we already touched on it initially. Uh, when when it comes to Batman vs. Uh, Batman vs. Batman vs. Robin. That would have been a great movie. That is a movie. Now. Yeah, it is um, a movie. When it comes to Batman and Robin. Uh, the first thing that you see in the movie entirely is Arnold Schwarzenegger's name. Which tells you immediately who it is that is going to be the one person you're supposed to remember from the movie. And he did everything in his power to make that true. So like we do normally, I'll do my, my quick run through of the movie. Yes. I'm, not, I'm you, going to try and not do like a scene for scene breakdown like I did with Fantastic Four. Okay. But there's so much good just, shit in here. You got to hit the good like one. Unlike Fantastic Four, this is a movie I would recommend people watch for how bad it is. Yes. Um. Whereas, you know, I think for Fantastic Four, I did it as in-depth of a, a recap as I could so that you didn't have to see the movie. This is, like, classically bad. It's so famously bad that I think everyone has seen it. I actually just like you, rewatched it's one of those it. Where I feel like really? if you haven't seen it, yeah. if you like comic books, you like Batman, and you haven't seen Batman and Robin, then you obviously don't like Batman. I mean, I just rewatched it, and uh, it was—it's forgettable and unforgettable at the same time. Uh, I'm either yeah. laughing or I just have my mouth wide open, going, "What the hell is going on?" Oh, it's so great! Like, <laughs> it's, it's so easily so hate watchable. All so I remember from this movie, just real quick, is yeah. just this is, I believe, the debut of Bat Nipples, right? Yeah, um, oh. I believe it was. I don't, I don't think they had them in Batman Forever. Okay. That's all I got because I haven't seen this movie in a really long time. It was the debut and only appearance of the Bat Nipples. Okay, there you go. Yep. All right. Tell her the floor is yours. <laughs> all right. So after we get through the, the opening credits and we get into the movie, we are immediately met with a whole bunch of gratuitous button crotch shots <laughs> yes. uh, as Batman and Robin are suiting up to go out for the night, you know, in their uh, their way. <laughs> Um, the opening line of the movie is also for uh, from Robin, who says to Batman um, that he needs a car because, you know, chicks dig the car. And Batman retorts back with that this is why Superman works alone. <laughs> Establishing that in the Joel Sh- Schumacher universe of Batman, that Superman and therefore every other comic book character from DC does exist. 
And I can only imagine just how horrid their stories are compared <laughs> to Batman and Robin. Dude, but that's the thing right away. Two ass shots, cross shot, nipple shot, this horrible exchange. This is the very, very beginning of this movie. And you're like, oh, I see. I we, see what I'm in for. We get like five minutes into this movie and there is not yet a, a passable line of dialogue. <laughs> um <laughs> I mean, it's even to the point where, like, you know, um, uh, Alfred is doing his best, like, cue from James Bond moment of, like, you know, do be sure to bring it back in one piece this time, Bond. Yeah, it's entire cliches. Everybody speaks in cliches in this movie. It's Which amazing. I love the idea that it's like, you know, oh, I get it. You know, Batman's so super rich and he's apparently so unbelievably thoughtless that just every time he goes out to fight crime, he destroys a Batmobile. <laughs> and it is a joke in the fact that I'm pretty sure the Batmobile is destroyed in every movie before this. Yeah. So they, 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 you know, he gets into the Batmobile. Robin gets onto his Robin cycle because this was the 90s. So Robin had to have a motorcycle because the kids were going to be all over that shit. And they, they go off to go fight crime. I bring uh, to your attention now that this is the only Batmobile in the movies that doesn't have any kind of a canopy over the cockpit that he sits in. This, this Batmobile is the ugliest fucking Batmobile I've ever seen. With- it's one seater. It's it's a one seater with like seventeen fins out of the back of the, out it, of it that they, are like at all nineteen feet tall. It's got like the hood rat neon lights that you see it, in the it, fucking the ghetto. Front of, the front oh, of yeah. it, it's all of these intercut areas to show the giant rotating. What I'm assuming is like time manipulation device or something that works as its engine. It is it is still a rocket propelled car as it has always been, but it doesn't have a canopy. So God knows how many bugs are hitting him in the face before he gets to whatever crime he is going to go stop. It, it's yeah. There's like clear glass. It is the worst. It's, well, there's not even clear glass. It's just his head. Oh, sticking. It's just his head sticking out. It is, it is this? This was. This is immediately the first thing that says everything in this movie was designed to just be shrunk down for whatever toys were going to get made. Absolutely. Because, well, well yeah. none of the toys you're going to have a canopy on it. So if you just stick Batman into the top of it, you should do that in the movie. This is where you start to notice the over-the-top, unnecessary Art Nouveau design everywhere for everything. Just everything everything is this weird mix of either the, the giant stone pillar gothic that uh, Tim Burton brought to the, the first two movies meeting this – bright neon colored like you know neo tokyo look is this more pronounced than in batman forever because i get these yes. two movies oh yes no, no, batman forever was very much while they had the touch of the neon and the black light and stuff like that here and there it was still very much just darkness it okay. was dark rubber dark you know alleyways still very gothic looking this is designed like a goddamn high school musical or like a Broadway musical. Every scene is purples and blues and greens there is, and there neons. There is nothing in this movie that cannot be described as sensory overload. Yes. Yeah. It's like – I'm like trying to think of the word. It's like, it's like bubble gum, like candy, candy yeah, land. Candy colored everything. Oh, yeah. You know. Everything in the like, I'm pretty sure every car in this movie does have those those street racer undercarriage neon lights in them. Yeah. Well, you need them to light up the road. How are you going to see? Oh, you got to see where the cool car is. <laughs> so he they get their their message from Commissioner Gordon uh, again. You know the, the same man who has played him since 1989. That you know, uh, Mister Freeze and his gang are crashing the the museum to steal a giant diamond, which uh, sure why not? That's that's a pretty <laughs> standard Batman setup for a, a fight scene. 
So it is in this scene that we are introduced to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze. And it is also in this scene where we are introduced to his first puns and references to ice and cold. Oh, nice. I'm looking forward to these. Uh, I, I tried to keep a tally, and I don't think I got all of them of just how many of his lines for each scene were ice puns. There's a lot. It's almost every line. In the first scene, five out of 11 lines of dialogue, he says, are a pun or reference to ice. Lame. And they're so bad. They're so bad. Now, I want to throw in here uh, one of my favorite things. Now, when we were talking about the budget of the movie being $125 million, $25 million of that went to Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, wow. No wonder the fucking ice looks like shit. So with $25 million going to Arnold Schwarzenegger, they, the, you know, uh, this website uh, called Pajiba, I only just found recently. Um, I, f- I think I found this today. has a, a list of like, you know, the, the mind-blowing facts about this movie. And it said with Arnold Schwarzenegger making $25 million for the movie, that equaled out to being more than a million dollars per minute of screen time. <laughs> What that also offered was that of the 27 ice puns that he makes in the movie, it means he was paid nearly $1 million per pun. Oh, shit. $1 million for those horrible puns? I got to say, I love their first introduction. This is the quality dialogue from this movie, Batman meets Freeze. This is the the interaction. He goes – Hi, Freeze. I'm Batman. He goes, hi, Freeze. I'm Batman. Arnold goes, you're not taking me to the cooler. So starts it off right away. There's a million dollars. First ice pun. Exactly. Wow. So they they go to try and stop Freeze. Freeze sticks his men on them. He also freezes the floor. And then it just turns into the opening, opening scene of this movie is Batman and Robin playing a game of ice hockey versus Freeze's goons to try and capture the diamond that he is stealing. (laughs) Do you remember this at all? Yes, I do. Wow. I do. It's it's all the way down to things like when they come crashing in through the ceiling, they go sliding down the back of the the brontosaurus that's on display (laughs) as if it's the fucking Flintstones. This is a cartoon. So the ice, the blades for their ice skates come straight out of the bottom of their feet. Built into their boots. But So when they're retracted, where is it? Don't think that um, much. Come on. In their feet. Plus, you can clearly tell everyone is on fucking rollerblades in this whole scene. Yes. So it's rollerblades that they have big metal pieces on either side to try and look like that they are ice skates. It's horrible. And the ice looks so – all the ice is wobbly. It's. A, I'm trying to remember. There's something else I saw about what the ice was made of, and I can't remember what it was now. It was some kind of like resin. Or yeah, yes, like it was. Uh, yeah, it was like a poly resin thing. They thought it looked really good because it was translucent, but it fucking looked like. But shit. it looked terrible Holy under the lights. Holy shit! It looked horrible. So the in the middle of them getting into their big fight with a whole bunch of goons playing ice hockey, uh, Freeze still gets away with the diamond and takes off. Now Batman uh, chases after him, gets into his car with him, to which apparently Freeze was hoping this would happen because he turns the car into a rocket. <laughs> Wait, is that what happened? At first I was like, why is there a rocket at the art museum? Like it went from him stealing the, the, the yeah, diamond the, straight to the a car, rocket. The car itself turns into a rocket. And I believe Freeze says something along the lines of like, you know, I was hoping you would drop in after he jo- you know, <laughs> oh li- literally drops in from like the top of the thing. The car was a space rocket, right? <laughs> so they then fire off into space. Uh, Freeze is monologuing about how he is going to kill Batman when the icy grip 
of doom turns your heart into whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so he's, he's going off about ice this, ice that, you know, space will freeze you, blah, 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 blah. And he jumps out and it has a not even it's not even like a, a jet pack or like a rocket pack. It turns into like a giant thing of metal wings. Yeah, he's got wings. And he just glides down from the stratosphere. How else are you going to get down out of there? Because now you can sell metal wing ice, uh, Mr. Freeze exactly. action now figure. Now you have the Mr. Freeze that comes with the, the wing suit. You know, Fucking uh, wings. When has Mr. Freeze ever had a bunch of pair of vulture wings? So he, he goes flying off. Luckily, uh, Robin decided to hold on to the side of the rocket after it took off. Yeah, because he's on he the outside. Because he was going to go save Batman from the outside of this rocket <laughs> that went into space. He's super courageous. What are you gonna, what so he, he gets in. Um, he's like, all right, well, we got to get out of here. And <laughs> Batman tells him, no, we have, to get, we have to destroy this rocket because it will become, you know, a terror. When it comes crashing down, it'll kill people, whatever it is. And he just puts a little device on the side of the thing. Oh, no. And there is everyone's favorite line from Robin, a bat bomb. <laughs> Lame. <laughs> and they decide that they have to blow up the rocket and then get out of there. So how do they get out of there when they blow up the rocket? They kick off the doors to the side of it and they go sky surfing <laughs> down to the down to earth. How do they surf down? Remember, they on surf the on the doors of oh, the rocket. Yeah. How could you forget this scene? To the, point, to the point where as they're coming down. He's coming uh, straight down. Robin yells, surfs up just as they jump out. Wow. And then halfway down, when he starts carving up people's roofs like he's snowboarding, yells out "Cowabunga!" Yes. Oh my God! So they dropped out and they sir of all time. Uh, but I also, to their credit, I read that was like very first early use of a complete CGI stunt double for that scene in '97. Yeah, and to their you can, credit, Jesus I was going to say the funny thing is, is that it. you can definitely tell when yes. they have like the the real fast paced close up of the two of them going past the camera, <laughs> and it's just this frozen grimace on each of their face because it was a picture that they obviously took to try and build the model. Listen, somebody's got to try that technology first, and and it's going to be shitty, but somebody's got to do it first. Just uh, otherwise, how's it going to get better? Of course, <laughs> they chase down Freeze, and as they're chasing down. They're chasing him down. Uh, they decide they're going to try and – he sits there and he's – I think he's monologuing again. And Robin decides that he's going to you know, prove that he's, he's big and tough and he goes to jump at Freeze. Freeze hits him with the Freeze gun and just freezes him solid into a block of ice. And then he gets away. So Batman has to save Robin by pulling out a random laser he happens to have on him. Of course. He's always up- prepared. Yes, heating up a pool of water that happens to be nearby. Oh, I remember that. And putting the Robin sickle into it <laughs> and then pulling him out, where after a moment or two, Robin comes out and goes, did we get him? Did we get him? But, by the way, another wobbly, a very wobbly frozen. You can clearly see the tips of these things wobble. So every at time. this point, Robin's just been a dweeb. He has been. Now, I, one of the notes that I wrote down was, is this the worst version of Robin or the best? <laughs> Completely useless and competent. Because he is, he is everything that everyone has ever made fun of that character for. He gets into danger. He is entirely incompetent. He is cocky and headstrong and thinks that he deserves more respect than he gets. So he's Dick Grayson Robin, right? Yes. And is he wearing the Nightwing outfit at this point? What it is is he's wearing – it's what would what easily would become the Nightwing outfit, okay. but it's red instead of blue. Got it. 
So if anything, it's uh, New Fifty Two Red Wing or uh, Nightwing. Nightwing, but he's got like a pers- some personality traits of like a Jason Todd too, is what I'm getting at. It's a mix. Yeah. Like they they definitely had a bit of Jason Todd in there. They made him a lot more of like a, a whiny teenager type of thing. Right. So one of the things that I noticed as well in this movie, uh, they constantly have Robin riding on his motorcycle, whether as Robin or as Dick Grayson. And it seems that what I've learned is they've decided that Dick Grayson doesn't know how to stop a motorcycle. (laughs) He only knows how to go because every time that he has to stop, it's always him tipping it over on its side and power sliding across the road. That's right. Or jumping off. Like, so it's like five times throughout this movie. And there's never a point where he like hits the brakes and slows down. It's always like, oh, no, something's going to happen. Power slide through it. Sparks everywhere. All right, so they, 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 they lose Freeze, and meanwhile, after that has happened, and they are now uh, defeated and licking their wounds and heading back, we jump over to somewhere that, po- that we meet uh, Pamela Isley, yep. played by Uma Thurman, and she is working in a lab that looks to be some kind of rundown warehouse in a swamp in, <laughs> I'm guessing, South America. Um. She is commenting on how she is trying to create carnivorous plant life in order to have them protect themselves, but they also are trying to genetically manipulate like a venom they can use to protect themselves. Okay. She then goes wandering into another wing of this warehouse, comes across her boss, Dr. Woodrow, who is played by John Glover, who oh, okay. was the voice of the Riddler in the Batman animated series. Oh, no I'll right. to that, John Glover. Um, okay. So John Glover, as Dr. Woodrow, is presenting to the ununited nations, <laughs> who just happen to apparently be hanging out in this warehouse uh, lab in you know Argentina, uh, his newest weapons project that will involve his super soldier serum, in which uh, he drills three consecutive holes into a prisoner's limbic system. I wrote all this down yeah. because I, to, I really wanted to get into the BS science of them creating uh, Bane. Yes. And that it, including the venom that Ivy was creating, which she thought was being used for plants, as well as a mix of steroids and toxins that are pumped into his body and turn this tiny man into Bane. <laughs> Um, he then starts the bidding on who can have this uh, super soldier serum when uh, Pamela Isley finds out what's going on and she freaks out. We have a, an almost beat-for-beat beat remake of the Catwoman scene from yes. Batman Returns. Oh, yeah. Where her boss finds out that she has found, you know, discovered something she shouldn't have and then kills her for it. Uh, instead of throwing her out of a window from like the 100th story of a building, though, he just tips over all of the things in the laboratory on top of her <laughs> so that she's eaten up by poison and a random fire that just happened to start. <laughs> when you get covered in plants, you die. This, all, this, this reminded me a lot of like Little Shop of Horrors also. Yes, and it, she did even have like the little tiny uh, Audrey-looking yeah, plant. Yes, she had a like, plant that looked like the Audrey, too. So um, we then jump back to Batman and Robin, who are now in the Batcave. Um, Robin is currently drying himself off from having been uh, completely frozen and then unfrozen that night. Of course, we don't worry about whether or not he might have had hypothermia, it's some fine. kind of frostbite from this. 
any sort of physical problem that could really be an issue down the road. It's just, nah, he's fine. He's fine. Um, meanwhile, they already have a crap load of information about Mr. Freeze and the fact that he is Dr. Victor Freeze, who was a, I believe, a geneticist or something of the nature, who was looking into finding a cure for his wife, who had McGregor syndrome. That's what it was, McGregor syndrome. Is that a real thing? Is that a real thing? No, I don't think it is. <laughs> okay. I'm sure it's probably them trying to like, you know, well, we can't say Luke Gehrig's disease or something like that. Yeah, poor taste probably. Um, but it was in the, you know, and he had some kind of mishap in the uh, lab that caused him to fall into the vat of uh, cryogenic freezing material he used for his wife. And this is why he is now Mr. Freeze. And covered in silver spray paint. I was going to say. It is a very watered down and in no way emotionally connective story compared to Heart of Ice. Yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. Yeah. It is just like, yeah, uh, he was a scientist who sucked at his job and now he's a villain. (laughs) Who talks in nothing but ice puns. And and wife is dying, I guess. And inexplicably somehow uh, a freezy guy who can smoke a cigar. I didn't know how that worked. It was just a cold cigar. And he just so, got like a gang of with him of like people wearing like Oh, they, yeah, like, their suits pets. are, dude, they got matching suits with like skull like, shoulder pads and shit. They're wearing like furries. Dressed up as Eskimos for some reason. <laughs> yeah, some of them are Eskimos. I don't know who does their design, but he's got a good designer working for Mr. Freeze. He's got the silver stripe suit. There's, there's the one goon who's the one designing all the costumes. <laughs> he's like, um, you know, my dad said I'd never make it with a sewing degree. <laughs> He's like, I see oversized gloves and skulls on the shoulder pads. Yes. And hockey gloves, hockey gloves, eye masks, and furry hoods. <laughs> so good luck, boys. <laughs> so after they do their research, uh, Batman and Robin get into an argument about how Robin is impulsive and he technically should not have gone out there because he obviously is not ready for this job. Batman makes mention of them having a simulator that he should keep training in. Not yeah. knowing, I I didn't know that Batman had his own danger room. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow. Okay. Yeah, he says something about a training simulator. And then afterwards, Alfred uh, kind of chides Bruce for being way too hard on Master Dick. <laughs> <laughs> and then for some reason, Bruce had the. I know. I, oh, I laugh. Shit. All the time. They say that too. And then for some reason, Bruce has a random hallucination of himself as a kid when Alfred like picked him up because Bruce fell down for being a clumsy. Dumbass. Oh, well, they're setting up uh, Alfred isn't feeling well. so it's, it's like, okay, I get it. Down the road, we're going to find out Alfred's sick and might yeah. be dying, and we're trying to show that there's a connection between him and Bruce, but it's like the placement of this moment. Yeah, It's just like, okay, so yeah, I get it. Bruce loves his butler for basically being his dad, but I mean, yeah. all, all Alfred did at this moment was basically just tell him, like, you're kind of being an asshole, and <laughs> walk away. And Bruce is like, hmm. He's always been there for me. (laughs) So they get done with that. We then get to come back to our Argentinian uh, warehouse where Ivy rises from the ground. She kills Dr. Woodrow with a poisonous kiss after mentioning that she is apparently now made of plants. She's made of plants. They trash the lab, which had already been trashed when he killed her. Start more random fires. And then she notices, oh, you know, all this stuff is from Wayne Enterprises. So I should go to Gotham and threaten Wayne Enterprises. Because. <laughs> no reason. 
So that's a pretty uh, flimsy excuse. It's it's legitimately like she looks at one of the flasks and saying it says Wayne Enterprises, and I think she's like you know Bane, we're going to Gotham. By the way, Uma Thurman is so over the top in every goddamn line. You- like that when they like when they interviewed her and asked her like why did she do the movie, she's like I loved the very femme fatale concept of her character, and you can see that she decided being a femme fatale meant she had to be directly out of a nineteen forties yeah like bad noir movie. It's with just the way note. she delivered every line. Oh my god, it's yeah. Yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> so we jump back to Gotham, uh, where we're going to catch up with uh, uh, Doctor uh, Mister Freeze and his gang. Um, which th- I had to make a note about this. I love that they are hiding out in an abandoned snow cone factory <laughs> <laughs> because that's a thing. There's another toy set we can make. It, I was going to say because it's like it, what what were it's like. Oh well, we need them to have a hideout, but it's got to have some kind of cold or ice theme. Uh, what what can we possibly do? Well, let's do a snow cone factory. Those aren't a thing, Jerry. <laughs> Wait, this place only made snow cones. That seems they, odd. They apparently made it in a factory. Yeah, a factory made. So snow cones. by the time that I guess they had to ship them out everywhere, they would have been melted. <laughs> 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 now this is this is one of those scenes where it's just like I feel like some Akiva Goldsman had to have been so high when he wrote this scene <laughs> because it's them hiding out in a snow cone factory watching the year without a Santa Claus where Freeze is forcing his goons to sing along to the he's Mr. Snow Miser part. Oh my god. So weird. So then after they after he tries to do that and yes he is standing there and he is conducting them and they all have sheet music to read off of. <laughs> At this point you're like what am I watching? And the thing that I love so much about in this scene as well is they mention later on that in order for Mr. Freeze to live his body must constantly be kept at 0 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. Meanwhile because it's Arnold Schwarzenegger He's walking around smoking cigars. That's, that's the thing. <laughs> so Mr. And it's not smoke. just that he's smoking cigars. He is smoking cigars that are the exact same flecky blue color as his skin. You know that that had to be his idea. He must have been like, oh, can I smoke cigars? In every movie I smoke a cigar. He's, he's like, you know, well uh, – in order to show that I'm uh, very tough and everything, I smoke cigars in my movies and I have to smoke it in this movie or else people won't know that I'm a tough bad guy. <laughs> they don't take bad guys seriously if they don't smoke cigars. We already paid you $25 million. Go ahead. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> they want you on. This is a disaster. <laughs> so uh, he, he then has, I think it was Vivica A. Fox trying to get into his pants before he then goes and yep. recharges his Mr. Freeze suit. And talks about his plans to hold Gotham for ransom so his wife will live. Now, here's another question, and this may be a little um, of a graphic question to ask. (laughs) But if Mr. Freeze's body has to remain at zero degrees Fahrenheit at all times, how does sex with him work? (laughs) Because he's going to get stuck. It's similar to, uh, yeah, like in a frozen phone pole or a frozen <laughs> it is, pole. It's legitimately, I think, time. like banging an ice pop. Yes. <laughs> that won't melt. And then, uh, oh, that's a good question. Once you're in there, you're <laughs> not getting out. <laughs> until until he dies, you're not getting out. Until he dies or you die. Yeah, wh- someone's going. 
you're going to say otherwise, that's going to be a lot of recovery surgery to have to have Having done. sex with him is like having sex with a black widow spider. Someone's going. <laughs> Only one of you making one it out. One of you making it out here. Well, he'd have, he'd have to make her into like Mrs. Freeze. Yeah. That'd be the only way. So after after we have checked in with both of our villains, we now have to meet the third most important member of our Batman team. Oh yes, and that is Barbara. God, what, what was the last her? Barbara Wilson. Yeah. Why is she Wilson? She should be like Pennyworth. No, she should be Gordon. Well, well she's not related to Gordon. That, that it, because it was Alfred's sister's daughter. Yes. Her last name is whoever the husband was. Oh yeah, yeah. It's his niece. So somewhere. it is. It is Alfred's niece, Barbara who is coming to visit him on a holiday from school from England played by Alicia Silverstone. Is she supposed to be English? Which I'm assuming. <laughs> oh, was she supposed to be she English? To That's a good point. And then comes to visit for, to, uh, to America with the most California Valley girl setup. <laughs> For any character, I just thought she was going to like school in England. I didn't think she was supposed well, to be. The problem is that she's going to school in England. Got, yeah. Her family is apparently English. Yeah, yeah. She speaks like she grew up in Van Nuys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of those moments where you you immediately see that they cared more about who they cast than about writing a character. Oh yeah, they sure. didn't care. Okay, yeah. Yes. Like oh well, you know she she was in Clueless and everybody loves her. She's you know she was in that. That uh, video for uh, Aerosmith that everyone thought was great. Let's get her and have her be Batgirl. <laughs> like, well, I mean, that's the like. Look at this cast. All it is is everyone who was popping in the late nineties. Exactly, they and just no, pull, pull and them all in. You go like, well, wait a minute. Isn't she supposed to be a British character? She's related to Alfred. Because let's face it, that's not who the character actually is ever. It right. Only in this movie was Batgirl a a relative of Alfred's. What I feel like they did was they took cues from the, all the previous films and were like, every one of these films grabbed the hottest actors at this time. Yeah. You look yeah. at like Batman, Batman Forever, uh, Batman with the other stuff, the Except second Batman. Except for Keaton. That was a, that Keaton, was a yeah, risk. But, but like Nicholson yeah. and then you did Danny DeVito. And, yeah. and, uh, Can we say that there was ever a time Danny DeVito was considered a hot actor? No, he's always, <laughs> he's always the same level where he is. I honestly feel like Tim Burton cast Danny DeVito just because he's like, you're short and awkward. Yeah, like me. We'll get along great. <laughs> <laughs> who was the Catwoman who played her? Michelle, Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle Pfeiffer. She was, she was popular, yeah. yeah. Big in the, the early nineties, and, yeah. and then you'd even go to Forever, which Schumacher was had, but you had uh, Val Jim Kilmer, Car- was, Val Kilmer, Jim, Jim Carrey, Carrey. Was big. Jim Nicole Carrey Kidman, was big. Uh, um, Tommy Lee Jones, Tommy Lee was Jones. Huge. yeah. So they were they were following that. They were trying to continue. I mean, that is this what I'm it was I, you know we forget this was the biggest franchise ever at the time, and uh, you know all the hot Hollywood had to roll through these movies. I mean, it's it's as George Clooney said when he got a he got a call from Warner Brothers that said we want you to be Batman in a movie. He's like, I'm not going to say no. Right. No, he's like your turn. But dude, he knew what he was doing at the time. Clooney fully knew. He's like, oh, this is uh, this is going to kill the franchise. So back into the movie. So uh, Alfred's niece Barbara shows up. Immediately, you can tell that Dick wants to get all up in that. <laughs> he's like, hey, who's this? He's like, oh, uh, hi. Because the other thing that I love is her introduction when she first shows up. It starts off with Dick doing his laundry, and the way he does his laundry is with karate. <laughs> he he like takes he takes a, a shirt out of the washer, throws it in the air, double punches through oh, it, yeah. hold it out flat. You know, wraps it around a, a, a 
uh, broomstick and then squeezes it to get all the water out. And it's all like these really quick cut action scene type of like beats. And it's like, dude, dude's just doing laundry. I don't need him to be intense all the time. It's how superheroes do their laundry. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, I have to train no matter what it is that I'm doing. Constantly being Robin. I'm Robin. At any day, I could be in the middle of doing laundry. And then suddenly I could be an attacked. If ninjas like, came right now, I would be ready. I would be so ready for I that. He, I think he was just taking Batman's advice. I mean, he needed to go into the That's the room. training simulator. Yeah. It really is laundry. <laughs> it's just laundry. <laughs> I just imagine him bringing in Dick as a child and just being like, all right, now you're going to um, go into the training simulator. Yeah, yeah, he well, brings- what's that? Well, you're going to take these clothes and make sure you separate the darks from the whites, and then you're going to put them into this washing machine. It's it's basically Karate Kid Mr. Miyagi moment all yes, over again. That's a great deleted scene where he brings him into the laundry room, and he's like, time for the training right. simulator. And it's right. just, it's Wait, I thought I was going to throw punches. You, you will are. throw punches. You will. First you must clean. But first you must Everything do laundry. Everything you do must be a punch. <laughs> when you bring whites to their whitest white, then you will learn how to punch. And then, I was going to say, and then it just has to be a great like a great montage of just him doing things for bruce like making him a sandwich or whatever it's like everything is that already would have been way more entertaining than this horseshit movie the movie's so much better so they they but we digress i'm sorry yeah i was gonna say they bring in barbara and you know robin's immediately smitten and we find out that she's uncle alfred's you know niece and i'm coming to visit on holiday and so on and so forth and all that crap uh, yeah. Okay. So I have um, Barbara arrives while on break from Oxbridge Academy. Oh, that's a good made-up name. Yeah, it's super um, English. Where she is, where she works in the computer sciences department. That's the thing. She's all smart and uh, hackier and uh, brainy, and she somehow knows how to fight uh, and stuff. She apparently, yeah, has been training in secret to learn how to fight things. She has been sneaking away to do motorcycle races. Oh, yeah, the races. She comments later on that she's not really on break from school, that I think she got kicked out. Mm. Um, She's a badass. We get a hint she's a bad girl. Yeah. But anyway, so after they introduce her and Bruce invites her to stay with them while she's on break, they then cut to the the next night where she, after saying goodnight to, uh, to Uncle Alfred, goes sneaking out to the garage, steals one of Dick's bikes, and runs off. Which later on we reveal is that she's running off to these underground street races where she is betting on herself to win, and then, you know, we've got people throwing Molotov cocktails at them. (laughs) They're apparently riding through the uh, abandoned sewer system of the outskirts of Gotham City, I guess. Lots of black light neon there. Yes, it's it's one of the two scenes where we have the return of the Blacklight Gang from that, uh, those Bat- guys. Yeah, you better make sure you do your laundry in this area of Gotham. That's for <laughs> yeah, sure. But if you don't know how to do laundry, you won't last. Long. <laughs> no, the Blacklight Gang's makeup. Also, how ineffective is that if there's no black light around like, if thing, they, it's like it's like oh you know in normal lighting they just cool. look up like a bunch of dudes who kind of have like chalk on their face or something <laughs> and then they're like oh wait hold on hold on and then, like they, they have to like set up a black light over next to him and like turn it on it's like oh now now it looks like i have a skull on my face right that's intimidating because <laughs> apparently as that far is as a I skull on your now, face but what's that on your pants yeah <laughs> it reveals a little too much <laughs> Apparently that just means that Gotham is the kind of city where you just have black lights around <laughs> for no reason. Like I, I get the idea of having like neon signs and neon lights outside, but it's like black lights just in alleyways. Well, but look, uh, I used to work at Starbucks in New York City, and the Starbucks at Cooper Union in the bathroom had a black light. 
right? And I go and I ask them, I was like, what's the deal with the black light in the bathroom? And they go, oh, it's so that the junkies can't find a vein. You can't find a vein under a black light. Like, they were having problems oh of God. people shooting up in their bathroom. They had to install a black light. So, oh, yeah. The, the outside of the, uh, the path train that I take into New York, there's a Dunkin' Donuts where they have uh, – they don't have the black light, but they have – you know, it's the, the standard. They have the lock on the door because they don't want people just wandering into the bathroom and then doing drugs and passing out in it. Also, scorpions fluoresce under black light. It's a great scorpion detector. Anyways, moving on. Just random right. facts. Yeah. Uh, I'll remember that the next time I'm afraid there's a scorpion in the bathroom at Starbucks. If, if you're in the desert, bring a black light. You'll find all the scorpions. That's all I'm saying. So um, – the next scene, we have this big uh, event at the observatory in Gotham. Now, what I love about the Gotham Observatory yeah. is that it is a building that is being held up in the hands of like a 700-foot-tall statue. Yep. Oh, yes. Remember, it's like uh, – I'm sure this, this is what up. Tim Burton imagined when he originally did Batman, this kind of this style. Of course. And I don't understand – like do they have to walk up through the statue to get there? <laughs> how do you get there? That's a good how point. How do you get into this building? Because like what climb? Why did why did there need why did it need to be held by a statue? You could <laughs> just put it on the on the ground or on top of another building. All you need is clear sky. It's not like if you have it further up in the air, you're doing better research on stars. Plus, that's a it's a telescope, and that thing is going to sway around way up there, which is something you don't want when you're trying to fucking pinpoint stars in a telescope. Yeah. Um. So. <laughs> They're there to unveil that there's going to be a new project that like is revealing a new type of telescope as well as a bunch of mirror satellites so that they can see stars from other places, I guess. Okay. This this concept is the most confusing thing in the world. Yeah, they keep bringing it up. Because yeah. They had to just they had to have it there so that they could use it later. Right. That was the thing they needed. They just like, well, we need, we need this here for the end of the movie, so we need to have a bullshit reason for it to exist. <laughs> so it's basically a set piece. They were like, they came up with a set piece, and they are like, all right, now we need to make sure. Now, how, how do we explain how, how, do we, how do we fit this into this? It universe? is them. Yeah, it's them explaining Chekhov's rifle. Okay. So it's them just being like, well, we have the, we're going to need this thing here to combat the bad guy. But it can't just be there to combat the bad guy. It has to have a practical use that we then hijack to combat the bad guy. Makes sense but to me. But that, that, that practical use makes no sense. Because, <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, if we align these mirrors that they you know, reflect the uh, light from the stars over on this side of the planet, it's like you realize the planet spins. <laughs> <laughs> So they try to bounce it around to see the other side. I don't uh, understand it's why we need to have this thing like, oh, well, it's going to show us those stars over there. We see those stars. Yeah, you'll see it when like, that- for six months. <laughs> Plus, isn't it powered by like diamonds or something, which is another shoehorn thing? I, I, probably. Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. They had to have something else in there. But uh, while they're in the middle of doing this, um, they reveal that apparently uh, Bruce Wayne is dating um, Elle McPherson. <laughs> yep. Uh, with whatever the hell her character's name Ju- was. Uh, it was like Julie Madison. Yeah. Julie Madison. Um, we also have uh, one of the few one of the few other leftovers from the uh, Burton era of Batman, which was Gossip Gertie, the journalist. Oh, she was uh, oh, she was in the Burton movies. The She was from Batman Returns. Okay. 
Oh, Al McPherson's hot. All right, never mind. Sorry. So she was in. She was in Returns. She was in Forever, and she was in Batman and Robin. And it's one of those things where you can just feel how out of place her character is in this movie <laughs> because she was built for such a different type of movie. <laughs> and I think the best thing was as I was watching it, I was like, I really feel like when they made the Hunger Games movies, Stanley Tucci decided that his version of uh, Caesar Flickerman. The, the over-the-top, like, TV host for the, the Hunger Games yeah. was just, like, he, he watched this movie. He was like, I'm just going to be her. <laughs> because it's just everything is so over-the-top. Oh, Brucie, tell <laughs> us about your bride. And it's like, you are playing to the back seats of no theater. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, awesome. really, this everyone's performance is like they're in a high school show. Like, it, I don't I, understand. I, well, I think I've, t- I've said this before on the show, so... Sorry if I'm repeating myself, but Joel Joel Schumacher literally told everybody from what I've read that remember you're in a cartoon yeah, when, yeah, they, when they were yeah. acting. He yeah. did that apparently when they would take do scenes, he would do a last take that he would always say like, "All right, this one's for the actors," just telling them like, you know, do whatever the hell you want. Right. And as time went on, apparently even in an interview, Chris O'Donnell had said when they made Batman Forever, he's like, "When we made that one, I felt like I was making a movie." Yeah, he's like when we made Batman and Robin, I felt like I was making a two-hour-long commercial for toys, which they were. That's yeah. exactly what this movie is. Uh. But um, so they they you know play on the idea of oh, Bat, you know Bruce Wayne will never get married to anybody, and then Pamela Isley shows up and starts making all of her threats about how humanity's killing the planet and blah 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 blah. You're all going to you know reap the consequences at some point, and. Basically, I guess, is blaming Wayne Enterprises for what went on down in, I don't know, Mexico, Venezuela, insert name of whatever country it was here. And he basically just kind of laughs her off and is like, well, you know, I mean, uh, plants are great, but uh, we have to take care of humans first. So um, go fuck yourself. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, so at which point it, it's like he invites her to the the auction that they're planning on having. By the way, there's going to be an auction. Um, <laughs> there's always going an auction. auction. And they're, apparently what they're going to do is they're going to auction off dates with a bunch of different women. And then I guess uh, whoever – whichever woman is bet on and they someone wins the date with is going to be wearing this priceless uh, diamond necklace. Oh, from- that Bruce Wayne himself is um, offering because they know that that Freeze needs diamonds and they need to pull him out of hiding. So they're going to make a big public spectacle about diamonds. So they're, they're auctioning off trap. women like this is yeah. backwoods, like uh, like the streets well, yeah, of it, Thailand it's, or something it's like one that. Of the, it's, like, it's like a male review type thing where oh, it's yeah. like, oh, you know, uh, who wants a date with this lovely lady? You know, yeah. bet your money or you throw your money at me now. All the sleaziest men from Gotham are in the audience. I think that was the and plot in Taken. <laughs> yeah, it was too. It was maybe a, a little darker. <laughs> um, I think it was a little, a little more illegal. Yeah, this is but, legal actually, which is uh, even better. It's the, for, the for charity. This this auction slash whatever it is that they're doing, um, you know, uh, sex slave ring <laughs> is going to be held at the Gotham Botanical Gardens. Oh, nice! Oh, how convenient. <laughs> I mean, we got we got diamonds and we've got plants and it's like it's like the movie writes itself. Someone can actually fucking <laughs> it's, write this movie. It's freeze and poison ivy jambalaya. So mm, yummy. 
Um, I think in another one of my favorite scenes. So now Mr. Freeze is still in his his snow cone layer, and he's just watching home movies of himself and his wife on their wedding day. Because what's a great way to to cheer yourself up when you're having a bad day? Just remember that your wife is basically dead. <laughs> so, and so a guy, one of his associates, who apparently is named Frosty, hey Frosty, comes running in to talk to him and, and freeze immediately just freezes him with his gun <laughs> comments that he hates when someone talks during the movie and then you know sees that he has the newspaper talking about the Wayne diamonds being up for auction for this this whole thing so then we jump right into the uh the auction at the botanical gardens that has a massive jungle theme to it Men are bidding on the ability to uh, have dates with various women. They're all dressed and named as certain flowers. Mm. Mm. Ironic. Oh, yeah. Um, it's, and I have here, apparently the girl with the highest <laughs> bid will wear the Wayne's diamonds on the date with her her winner. In the middle of them doing this, both Batman and Robin are there uh, to show that they are um, very much in the charity scene. As Batman and Robin, but they're there as Batman and Robin, like they're making an appearance. Oh yeah, yeah. And Robin to just kind of hang out at this charity auction. Because what we know about Batman, he likes to hang out in costume, yeah, in public all events. the time. Well, yeah. What I love is the fact that it's like Batman and Robin, the people who are fighting to keep the city safe, are going to spend a night hanging out with the richest people <laughs> in town. <laughs> but it's so a trap. It's in the middle of this big auction going on, and what I find even funnier is that no one seems to question that the Wayne Diamonds are part of this whole big auction, and Bruce Wayne is not there. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, well, Batman and Robin are here, but Bruce Wayne and his young ward Dick Grayson don't seem to be here. That's pretty odd. And Dick Grayson is wearing his domino mask at this point. His domino mask, which <laughs> I'm pretty sure he still has his fucking earring that he wears through the whole thing, as well as his ridiculous sideburns. <laughs> the sideburns are the dead giveaway, really. It's like, you know, you know, you look like you would be Dick Grayson, but your eyes are kind of weird. <laughs> So in the middle of this auction, we then have uh, Poison Ivy doing a strip tease out of a neon pink gorilla suit. The gorilla suits oh, were yeah. Uh, yeah, hilarious and I'm very so strange. Great. Look it up while he talks about this. And while so while she does her strip tease, she is also blowing pheromone dust all over the place uh, in order to encapsulate the men around her. Apparently. Um, I don't know if it really does anything for the women, but they also seem to just not give a crap that anything's happening. <laughs> Nobody seems to mind. So she makes her way up onto, stay, onto the stage. Commissioner Gordon, who's enthralled with her, wants to know who she is. And she says she is Poison Ivy. And all the men start making bets for her. So in the middle of all the men making bets for her, Batman and Robin start fighting over making a bet for her. Which then brings up the wonderful point of why no one questions why apparently Batman and or Robin have millions of dollars at their disposal. Uh, you know, at one point Robin's like, oh, I'll, I'll bet like seven million or something like that. This is the Batman says, you don't have that kind of money. He goes, well, I'll borrow it from you. As if like as if like Bruce is going to be like, well, here's that money you asked for that you decided to use against me in a bet. It was four million. 
At which point they yeah so so Batman bets seven million and reveals that he has his own Batman master. Yes. Oh my yes. god! I forgot Man. about this. This is the best. Not funny. Worst exchange he, of the movie. Damn near looks directly at camera. Yes. Never leave the cave without it. Can you believe that? He whips out the Batman Forever Goth card. He has. Uh. His- Card is the Batman logo on it. Oh my He's god! Issued to Batman. None of this makes any sense. How and do you? That its expiration date is good through forever. Good through forever. <laughs> Who is supplying this line of credit without any kind of background check? Who does it have to be like to be the guy at Mastercard who gets the credit card application from Batman? <laughs> and how does he not go? You know what? This is obviously fake. <laughs> It's the most – why? Why would they feel they have to write that in? What? What's going on when they were writing this movie? already like 45 oh. minutes into the punniest movie of Holy all time. Holy shit. Yeah. So um, before Batman or Robin or whoever can win this, uh, Freeze crashes the party, uh, tells everybody that they're having a cool party. <laughs> uh, gets, has Batman and Robin get into another fight with his goons. He goes up, he steals the, the diamonds off of uh, Poison Ivy. She finds out that he is apparently um, immune to her pheromone dust because it doesn't work on the cold-hearted. <laughs> or whatever. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, okay, fine, I get it. Apparently your terrible accident has made it that your, your biochemistry works differently now because obviously it would have to. Um. And they chase after him and his gang again. This time they are chasing them over the rooftops, as I had thought it was the earlier time. And as they are chasing after them, uh, Freeze and his gang jump off of the end of the hands of some other nine million foot tall statue. Yeah. And Batman and Robin are going after it. And Batman is telling Robin, you'll never make the jump. You'll kill yourself. Pull back. And Robin's saying, no, I'll make it. I'm totally awesome. Uh, so Batman uh, initiates a shutdown sequence on the Red Bird motorcycle that he apparently has programmed into his car. The bike freezes up. Robin immediately tips it sideways and power slides down the statue. As Batman goes jumping off of the end of the statue and then Robin stands on the ground yelling, no! How dangerous is it? He Robin is driving on the hand of a statue. Very precarious. You know, full speed, about to make a jump. I would think if you shut a bike off at that point, you're just going to fall to your death. That's not he, – he slid so perfectly and I was going to say, the fact that he, like, he stops right at the edge of it, it's like, no, you just would have gone right off. Of yeah, right at the tip of the finger. Like he, the power slide wouldn't have saved him. He would have had to tip it over power slide and then like roll off of it and be scrambling to get a hold onto something. I think you guys are asking questions that this movie never considered. <laughs> no. Yeah, Logic no. need not apply say, when they wrote there's this. There's a lot of things in this movie that they decided don't need to be addressed because eh, it's a cartoon. Right. So yeah. Batman catches up with Freeze and there's no fight scene. There's no struggle. It's just that he goes flying in at freeze and then we have a transition where Batman is opening his cape up real wide and he's standing with one foot on top of freeze who's laying on the ground all like, oh, no, I've been defeated. Like there's it's just it's just they they, they obviously either didn't want to write or didn't have the money to do another scene between him and freeze. I know so it's just it's just Batman's going to get him. Got him. 
I, I noticed that it's very weird. Like they cut right <clears throat> away to no. Freeze just being defeated. There's like one hit. He's down, and literally, that's a shot of Batman with his arms up and his wings he's, out, as if he's, he's saying like Andre the Giant, yeah. where he's just got one foot on him victoriously, as if he's as like ta da. I was like, "What is that? Why? What is that? He's showing. He's showboating. He was wrestling showboating at the end of that fight. It was very, very weird and completely out of character for and whatever this movie was." So, after they beat him, uh, we get a quick scene, I guess, about um, Alfred trying to find his brother. Is also a butler, I guess. That's like the family business. Is like Penny <laughs> of course, become yeah. butlers. Yes, of course they do. Um, and also, all right, so in the most – one of the most poignant scenes of the entire movie, something that does not belong in this movie whatsoever, um, he has a conversation with Bruce uh, in which they are talking about something. I, I forget how it leads into it. But legitimately, he gives Bruce Wayne this line, death and chance stole your parents. But rather than become a victim, you have done everything in your power to control the fates. For what is Batman if not an effort to master the chaos that sweeps our world, an attempt to control death itself? Hmm, pretty profound. It's like the most Shakespearean <laughs> existential take on Batman as a character. That was in this movie? Wow. And it is in a movie that's full of ice puns and bat nipples. Wow. Holy shit, that's actually like a pretty decent line there. was there. one real thing, line like, in this movie. It's like it proves Akiva Goldsman is a fucking great writer. So how he got blackmailed into making this movie, I will never know. <laughs> That's crazy. This, yeah, so he gives this line to Bruce after they come back, and obviously it's because, oh, you know, uh, Robin's being a dick about not being able to help catch uh, Mr. Freeze again. It's, so it's they, his inspirational line that kind of yeah. So it's, it's like I don't I don't know I forget what the, the context of it was because it was at this point like when that when I heard that line I don't think I was even paying attention to the movie. <laughs> I was just like, where the fuck did that come from? Like what? They also had the, the quick judo meet cute between Dick and Barbara when she's like sneaking back in with the, the bike. And then he like goes to he apparently goes to say something to her about it. But his way of saying something to her about it is reaching out and firmly grasping her by the shoulder. <laughs> and she just flip kicks him. So she, yeah. So she flips him over her, her hip and puts him to the ground and I guess makes some comment about like, oh, sorry, I learned judo because of blah, blah, blah. I'm a bad person. And then that's it. So they, they then move on from there and they, you know, Mr. Freeze gets put into Arkham. This is where we learn that he has to have his body kept at zero degrees uh, Fahrenheit where they have the cold beam that he has to stand in. Oh, yeah, that's right. He can't it's move. It's legitimately just a blue colored light yeah. shining at the top. Of <laughs> it's the just a blue spotlight over him. Yeah. In the middle of the room, right? Yeah. While, while both of his guards are just being dicks to him. <laughs> like, I love the idea that the, all the guards at Arkham are just like, douchebags because i mean granted yeah it's something that you'll probably see in prisons a whole lot is like you know guys with power trip problems but it's like these guys are legitimately both like six foot nine so it's like they they actually even tower over schwarzenegger <laughs> they're just bully assholes for no reason yeah. ivy and bane beat up the blacklight gang to set up their own little uh, the they, they set up their own little uh, establishment in Gotham at an old Turkish bathhouse. <laughs> um, I guess because it's muggy in there, and that's that's what they're used to. I like how there's just abandoned, like, so random-ass so buildings. So, yeah, so many businesses are just out of business in Gotham, and they're just being overrun by different colorful gangs. Yeah. <laughs> 
we find out that apparently Bruce is having hallucinations about Ivy because of the pheromone uh, stuff. And Dick and Barbara meet up at her underground bike race where he is trying. I don't like I don't get why he went because, like, granted, all right, he followed her to find out. But why he decided to enter himself into the race at the same time. Yeah, he was, like, it's, uh, it's such like a dick measuring <laughs> moment where he's just like, oh, you race bikes, huh? Well, I'll I'm show, show you. I'm great at racing bikes because I'm fucking awesome. <laughs> um, people throw Molotov cocktails at them. They both almost die. They both tip over their bikes and power slide down a bridge that's falling apart, I yeah, think. Yeah. She saves him from falling off the bridge. And I'm trying to remember what his stupid, quippy one-liner is. Uh, it's something like, oh, so this is what you do at night? Or some crap like that. Oh, yeah. After they get back... She says something to Dick about how she wanted to take Alfred away because obviously neither of them have come to notice that he is sick. But apparently Bruce does know. He knows that he's sick. He knows he has McGregor syndrome and he knows he's dying. And just kept it to himself. <laughs> it's just like like he appears out of nowhere. Granted, he's Batman, so he's probably good at that. But, you know, he appears out of nowhere after like the two of them have this little argument about like, you don't seem to even realize that he's sick. And he goes... He's not just sick. He's dying. Bruce knew this whole time. Fucking do something about it. (laughs) (laughs) So um, I think they also have the the scene where like they bring the doctor in. He's the one who's like, oh, it's a very early stage McGregor syndrome. And, you know, of course, McGregor syndrome. Isn't that what Freeze's wife had? Like, yeah. Wow. Isn't that convenient? Yeah. Holy icicles, Batman. Yeah, Almost. (laughs) Poison Ivy and Bane break. Freeze out of Arkham. Has Bane had any lines at this point? <clears throat> yes, <Yeah>. said Bane. <laughs> yeah, he just repeats the first word of whatever the last thing someone says to him, or the last or word. Say the first word or the last word, or like the last couple of words of a sentence that somebody says at him. But like, like I think one of my favorites was like, um, you know, time to make a door, Mister Bane, and he goes Bane, yeah. or <laughs> and like punches a wall, like a hole into a wall. I, doesn't he says monkey at one point? Monkey. Like, he just grunts the last thing he hears. I forget what the context of it was, but my favorite is later on in the movie when they have him planting bombs, and every time he does, he just says, bomb. (laughs) (laughs) It's so horrible. And how long Ivy's – first of all, Ivy, all she does the whole time, her main attack is to blow air into people's faces. That's pretty much all she does minus controlling some vines. pheromones. Yeah, but it's really – and how long do these pheromones work? What is the strength of these? Uh, it makes no sense because it's are so super inconsistent. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I didn't even need to get that deep in. I was just You're like, crazy, dude. They're, well, look, they're Bane, having to use sex as a weapon because she's a woman. Welcome to 90s feminism. Right. Bane is just follows her just because. Like, she must have super dosed but him. Because uh, she killed the guy who made him, so he's oh, like oh, Frankenstein's right. monster without a purpose at this point. Mommy. Um. <laughs> So don't mind Imran getting super nitpicky. He he he's been criticized by me for being a a true uh, on a, a shitty apologist. So now he's gone the exact opposite way and like tried to nitpick things that are like, come on, dude, you don't need to nitpick. That. I was going to say if you honestly thought they were going to dig into the deep science yes. of how she created her pheromone powder, you I need to know the mechanics, the biochemical mechanics. 
So stop they, yourself. I was gonna say I think they even make a comment about how like plants do that shit all the time. Yeah, so that's, that's good enough. All right, yeah. it works. Um, what I love is the fact that they cop they they have it that it well uh, freezes in Arkham. Like one of the guards comes to the door is like freeze. You have a visitor, and I'm like they get fucking visitors. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Like, I, didn't, I didn't know Arkham had visitor rights. Right. These are the um, most deadly criminals in Gotham. Why are you letting anybody visit Freeze? Right. So they uh, – exactly. Like he just got put in here. You've talked about – like and granted, I'm sure they're like, well, it's not like he can leave the cold beam or anything like that. <laughs> um, so while while Poison Ivy is talking to him about how they're going to break out, Bane is punching his way through the cinder block wall to get into the uh, – I think it was like criminal possessions locker. Yeah, the evidence locker to get his suit. To get yeah to get to get his suit. Um, what I love is the fact that they have this little uh, cute reference by having both the Riddler and Two Face costumes hanging up in there. Oh, I missed that. But what I think is so funny about that is that Two Face died in a watery pit. At oh the yeah. End of so who went digging in there to get his suit to go lock it up in Arkham? <laughs> Somebody had to get it. We got to put this on display, guys. Go get we, it. We got to prove we got him. <laughs> we got. If, if anybody asks. We got him. <laughs> so then he, I love the moment where he's he's also uh, running down the hallway with like the laundry bin with the suit just like slumped into it. Um, it's so great. He's just running down going. Ah, so while, the they're, while they're planning to escape, they go over. Bane punches a hole through the wall and they look outside to find out that apparently Arkham is sitting on top of like a nine million foot cliff. Yeah, it's a, it's backed it, up. Too. It is like the most ridiculous version of of Alcatraz. You didn't know that the back wall opens directly over a drop uh, into water. At which point, so they're like, "Well, I hope you could. I hope Mr. Bane can swim." And they all jump out. Where's his fucking wings this time? Yeah, right. <laughs> So they they get out, um, you know, while while Bruce is being all sad about the fact that uh, Alfred is dying. Dick comes running into the room to tell him, oh, my God, Freeze escaped, <laughs> at which point I feel like any time somebody escapes from Arkham, can they really be all that surprised? Right. <laughs> and I guess I guess technically in the movies they could, because the only person I think so far in those movies that they put into Arkham was the the Riddler. Everybody else is dead. Yeah, it's true. almost the running joke of the Batman universe at this point. No one should ever go to fucking Arkham because no. you go to Arkham and you get out. You get out crazier. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a great kind of comment on the the prison system of right. like you know you go you go into prison you come out and what are you going to know you know prison life so now you're going to go back to prison right it is a revolving door people um so now that we'll we'll get away from the the very deep cuts about our political system. <laughs> Uh, we get into the fact that they. Can we get into the deep science on the pheromones? No. Yes, we'll, we'll start digging into. That's deep what Imran really look, deep is looking biochemistry for. Biochemistry that went into building this pheromone. <laughs> uh, Freeze and Poison Ivy have decided that they're going to team up. Naturally, because at this point, this is the third film where villains team up, right? Yes. They they head so Batman and Robin head to Freeze's hideout with the the police because the fact that Freeze escaped, the first thing they do is they go to his hideout, I guess, to look for him. But they also have it cordon like like blocked off like it's a crime scene. <laughs> like I get that in a way it's kind of a crime scene because it's like you know a bad guy was using it as his lair. But it's like to the point where they're also like taking evidence bags and like pictures of stuff as if like there was a murder here. Which I mean, yeah, again, it probably was. He killed a couple of his. Well, own he people. he did freeze Frosty. Don't forget yes, about that. I was going to say. So I guess they're investigating the the, the, the death murder. of Frosty. Frosty. <laughs> Poor Frosty. <laughs> 
Um, to help. Gordon uh, lets Batman and Robin know that Poison Ivy broke Freeze out, and they're both having like terrible breakdowns over this. Like, oh my god, I loved her so, and how could she have fallen so far? But not really. I guess they just realize, oh, she's a bad guy. Uh, they wind up chasing after Poison Ivy because I guess she just appears. Uh, the cops don't see her, but the the two of them chase. Oh, you know, you know what it was. Batman realized or like recognized that her, like her her pheromone scent was in the air, and they go chasing after it. But they end up getting into a fight with Bane as she also is like seducing them over and over with her pheromone dust. Now, what I love is, is that they even make a comment about the fact that this movie is nothing more than just a a vehicle for toys. Because there's a point where uh, Poison Ivy says something along the lines of like, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And that's why every Poison Ivy action figure is going to come with one of him. And that's when Bane shows up and starts beating the crap out of him. (laughs) That's right. She does have that line. So while she's oh, while she's constantly seducing the two of them and they're getting their asses kicked, uh, Freeze attacks the cops. He steals his diamonds and I guess just gets away because he the, their plan was he would get the diamonds so he could power the suit. And then Ivy said she was going to go and get uh, Nora to bring back to their new hideout. Oh, yeah. Turkish oh, yeah. Bat. OK, so now Batman and Robin start getting into a fight with each other over the fact that Ivy loves one of them and not the other one. Meanwhile, Ivy doubles back and she unplugs Freeze's wife's machine because there's only room for one gal in this picture or some crap like that. You know, uh, 90s feminism. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So after she goes – so, you know, the the two of them are fighting back and forth about like, you know, oh, well, you you just can't stand that maybe she was going to kiss me and not you. And then Batman's, you know, he's actually apparently using logic about like, oh, yeah, didn't you know about all the all the people that have been poisoned by, you know, uh, you know, oral asphyxiation and so on and so forth. And apparently all Robin can think of is like, yeah, well, whatever, bro. <laughs> so at this point, has Robin done maybe anything likable? Any nothing likable and no. nothing useful. Yeah. I mean, like even even when he was going, like just there, he's just getting in the way. I say going out to the underground bike race was pointless because it's like he's like, like, hey, I saw you're at these underground bike races. Um, It seems pretty dangerous. Maybe don't do that. But instead, he almost gets her killed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like everybody that he's around is in imminent danger from him being there. (laughs) Um. So then she – so Ivy goes running back to the hideout, uh, tells Freeze that Batman killed his wife. Uh, and then so he he has his – I'm pretty sure this is the moment where he has like his one solitary tear that freezes on his cheek. Yeah, that was a horrible terrible CGI work. So bad effects. You see it, it comes down and it freezes and then it like blows away instantly into flicks. Yes. So they, they then come up with their plan that they're going to freeze Gotham, you know, to, to have, for his revenge. He's not going to hold it ransom anymore. He's just going to kill everybody because yes. his wife's dead. So why not? So they, they – I think this was the scene where they had the, the doctor come in and talk about Alfred, but we already know. Um <laughs> I, I love that. I, I kind of laugh at my own writing because I could just feel how like annoyed I got at moments. I legitimately wrote Bruce heads off to the observatory for whatever rich person thing he's doing now. Nice. 
Uh, but they want to freeze Gotham, and then but Ivy then wants to grow plants on top of the ice or something. It's, 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 they they want to freeze Gotham, and then they want to regrow uh, plant life in the city to become a new world order, basically. Yeah, and it makes no she sense. Has, she has this wonderful line about how it's going to be their own Garden of Eden, of, of Eden, of, and yeah. um, Freeze says yes, and we will be Adam and evil. Name. <laughs> it's, so, it's so bad. <laughs> it's, it's so painful to listen to these lines at times, but <laughs> nice. it, it's so so because Alfred is dying. He tells Barbara that she needs to find his his brother. I forget what the hell the name was. Alfred two, if you want, <laughs> because he has to take over as Butler for Bruce and Dick, and that there's a a terrible secret that they that needs to be kept kept, and that he hands her a di- like a CD. It's like, and he needs this. Meanwhile, uh, Ivy understands that the best way to get to Batman and Robin is split them up with her as a prize. So there was a comment she had made earlier on about how, you know, why do they only have a bat signal? Why wouldn't they ever call for Robin? And he even later on says something like, I want a Robin signal in the sky because I deserve that, I guess. Um, So they break into Gotham PD. They get up onto the roof where she has Bane pull the bat signal off the roof. Yeah, he just picks it straight up just lifts it off of the bolts that have it in the into the roof of the building and then throws it away. There you go. And then they they implement their own robin signal. Now, how they built this, I won't know. Yeah, who actually put this together and constructed I'm assuming it had to have been whoever took over for Frosty. Yeah. <laughs> Frosty's replacement. You're going to be your job to build this robin signal. Frosty's replies like, well, I got to talk to some glass vendors. Let me get you a couple of quotes. Uh, I'll get three to five weeks turnaround time on this. So um, Frosty's while- kid brother, Icy. Icy. <laughs> and slushy. Icy. <laughs> so uh, while that's going on and, Ro- and you know, Dick obviously is, oh, I have to go running off to that because, you know, it's, it's Ivy and she's calling for me. And, you know, Dick's telling or Bruce is telling him, like, you know, she's. She's evil and she's, you know, she's poisoned people and she's messing with our minds and so on and so forth. But Dick won't hear any of it. I mean, he's literally you know, thinking with his dick the whole movie. The whole movie. Like, it's <laughs> nice. Given her him a better name for this. And <laughs> it's upsetting to know that it's like they didn't name him that, like, because of this concept. Right. No. <laughs> like, that's his name for decades. It's just only in this instance where it has been a great. It's another pun. Yeah. Yeah. So, meanwhile, because she is so great at computer sciences, Barbara has um, hacked into this scene. Oh, my God. This is such a great scene. Uh, where she then starts watching a, I guess it's like a PowerPoint presentation about like <laughs> Batman and Robin. And it's just like a picture of the Batboat and the Batmobile and this and that. And then it, it just, it's legitimately the opening credit scene where it has the Batman and the Robin Sybils like fly on top of each other. I feel like that's Alfred's way of like making the book Batman for dummies. He just made the audio or the, oh, uh, the video book. <laughs> legitimately an audio visual presentation. Yeah. That it's just- so bad. What I don't understand is what she figures out the password and it turns out to be like just peg and instantly it's just, just her mom's name. Yeah. Just her mom's name. And instantly stuff starts getting projected onto her face. Like do computers normally do this when you log into a computer. It's one of those amazing 90s moments of not knowing how that technology works. (laughs) Because it's not like, okay, I put in the password. Now I have a bunch of file folders and I have to open up this folder and I have to open up that folder. No, it was a a password encoded audio visual concept. I I think I will defend the film here in that 
you have seen so much ridiculous shit at this point that <laughs> what's like, another one another one of these yeah, things no, on that's, here. that's exactly what it is yeah. at this point no matter what it is it's like we've come this far right. if you're still here you're all in you're all in on this one what was on that? Why was she hacking that? What was on there? It's because she knew that there was a secret that Alfred was keeping and she needed to know it. Okay. Or just because she's a nosy bitch who doesn't <laughs> have <damn> business. <laughs> I like that second one better. I was going to say, she got kicked out of school for being, for being a, 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 a rotten apple. She yeah. goes running off to go race motorcycles. Why wouldn't she go snooping into her uncle's fucking computer? This girl's nothing but trouble. <laughs> so she then uh, also breaks into the Batcave. After this, I'm guessing the audiovisual presentation let her know that, like, the Batcave is behind the grandfather. <laughs> By the way, it's that way. Just pull this thing. Yeah, just just set the clock to midnight and it'll automatically open. So she goes, like, tumbling down the stairs into the Batcave um, where she is met with a video that is Alfred. <laughs> Why do they feel the need to make these things always look like Max Headroom? Now I love the fact that it's it's just a it's a it's legitimately a Max Headroom talking head of Alfred just going intruder alert intruder <laughs> alert. There's no one around. Like unless they are in the back cave, no one's going to know that there's an intruder. How right. is that fucking effective? First of all, second of and all, I, they do the thing where he repeats the last word, glitchy Max Headroom thing, which exactly. which was a, a, a hot thing literally ten years before this movie came. I was going to say it was a big thing in 1987. <laughs> yes, in the late 80s. Why are you doing this? So so I love that. While that's going on, her 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 reaction to this is to look at the computer screen and go, Uncle Alfred, it's me. <laughs> Like, because of course oh, it's voice activated. Oh, great! I didn't, you know, I, I, this computer program, didn't realize that it was you. Um, but apparently that works. <laughs> it is, it is voice activated as to where now computer Alfred says that he always had a feeling she'd break in here <laughs> in the, I guess, three days that she's been living in this house, and he has already taken the liberty to create her a Batgirl suit. This is the best ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And it was just waiting for her, I guess, to come stumble upon it. Um, so while that's all going on, Robin has rushed off to go meet with Poison Ivy. Uh, he meets her at her Turkish bathhouse. And they are, uh, you know, she's she's doing her whole seduction thing and he's giving into it. And it seems like things are going to get real hot and heavy. And, you know, Dick Grayson's finally going to get some. Um, except for the fact that she kisses him and nothing happens. And she doesn't understand why. And immediately he goes pulling like plastic off. Oh, of him yeah. And comments on rubber lips. <laughs> you know, it's just like, you know, I had to make sure that, you know, for myself that you weren't going to try and kill me. So then she decides, well, if I can't kill you with poison, I'm just going to kill you regularly. Rubber lips, lady. And he's so smarmy. That whole scene is so it's, it's weird. Like, it's so like there's just is never like even when he has a winning moment, he's still just such a terrible character that you're like, oh, God, just kill him. He's such a douchebag. Um, <laughs> is that where he also has the line where he goes, uh, what else is green besides your thumb? And I was like, what does that even mean? That's yeah, not even a sexy ooh. pun. Yeah. It's just. It's, oh, no, it's so it's also in like the same moment where when they are um, back at. Uh, freezes um, layer, and it's when when Gordon's telling them that uh, Ivy was involved in the breakout. I had it written down somewhere that there's like a line that they both gave. It was it was just like it was so 
90s sexist in in it was like it was like sexist and trying to be a pun at the same time uh well the first off there was the the point when they there uh robin says i can't believe we were fighting over a bad guy and batman responds with bad yes guy no <laughs> great uh, thank you for thank you for spelling out to us the that oh obviously God. poison ivy is a woman but there's also a point where one of them says one of them says something about how she had nice stems, though. Oh my god! And, and the other one responds with "and buds," oh. and then he responds with "yeah, those were nice too." Oh. It's just like oh, what? Christ. Thank you, thank you for using plant terminology to just sit there and be like, "Yeah, I'd totally bang her." <laughs> so Batman comes in to try and save him. Uh, Robin is being like drowned in the Turkish bath, like. I guess jacuzzi that's now also filled with plant life and Batman is being strangled by plants. Ah, uh, yeah. How can they ever possibly come back from this? And this is when Barbara shows up as Batgirl. And I guess I'm assuming it's because Joel Schumacher probably didn't want to have a couple of dudes just beating up on a woman. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How else are you so, going to finish How thoughtful of him after all these amazing lines and the how way he's portrayed yes, Poison Ivy and women in this film that he's like, going to draw a line We can't have men punch her, though. <laughs> well, that's the other thing. is like, it's like being a gay man. He's like, look, you can stare at them. You can talk about wanting to have sex with them. And, you can, and you know, they're all basically terrible people. But you know what? You're never going to have a man hit a woman in my movie. <laughs> I got to tell you, though, that scene where Robin is underwater and Batman's being hung up, like this whole movie really is it's a recreation of the Adam West show. That's all it is. It's but all, that scene so specifically, you are waiting for the announcer to just come out and go, will our bat heroes make it out of this? Join it, us next week, viewer. They, they keep cutting to each one yes, struggling, it's right? so yeah. horrible. Yeah. I'm it's like, a, how, how are Batman and Robin going to get themselves out of this conundrum? <laughs> I was just waiting for that guy to come out. I'm like, oh, it'll cut to the next week's episode. So while, oh. while the two of them are in the middle of of, or, or while the three of them now are there, and and you know Barbara is, is fighting Poison Ivy, Bane and Mister Freeze have made their way to the observatory, and have decided they're going to use the brand new telescope in the observatory to create a giant freeze ray to freeze all of Gotham and therefore the world. Uh, makes sense makes to me. Complete you sense. just reverse engineer a telescope and it's, it's a freeze yeah, ray. It's just you take you take the diamonds and I guess like the lenses and you just um, reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. It still hasn't lost me, this movie. It still hasn't lost me. <laughs> you flip it from uh, from suck to blow. I think the that is an airtight plan. That, this is what scares me, though, is this movie. I still am like completely on board. And, like, You're like, I'm movie. waiting for when the movie goes off the rails. Now, I'm waiting for the moment where I'm like, I don't believe it. But, but remember, I'm speaking as like, Eight-year-old Anthony. Eight-year-old like Anthony was like, probably was with it every I'm second. I'm still on. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with so, you. So, <laughs> Batgirl defeats Ivy. Um, I think they kill her. I'm pretty sure she's dead. Yeah, like, I she think gets, they do I think kill she her. gets like eaten by her own plant or something like that. She's like, oh, you know, carnivorous plants will eat anything, whatever. So they defeat Ivy. It's it was not confusing. It's yeah. Uh, the three of them go venturing off to go stop Freeze uh, at the observatory, who has already started freezing Gotham. Um, luckily, though, uh, the Batmobile can be turned into a sled. <laughs> of course it can. Because <laughs> just like the fact that they have ice skates in their boots, yes. the Batmobile has sled does like, you know, little uh, skis on it that they can go sledding through. It's not now, just the Batmobile. It's the Batmobile and like four other toys that they're going to make. One yeah. for Robin, one yeah. for Barbara. 
Oh yeah, because it was also like his his bike was also a, like a, a basically a snowmobile, and I think she had like a fan boat or some crap. Oh, yeah, no, he had Robin had the fan boat. How about the fact oh, yeah. that she shows up in full costume and she just knows how what the devices are, how everything works, well, just also, all ready to go. I also love when they walk up and they're like, "Oh, so uh, what? Are, what are you going to be called?" Like you know, uh, and they're like they're they're coming with all these like stupid names and basically just picking on her for being yeah, a girl yeah. and being a, a crime fighter. And at which point she's like, "Guys, it's me, Barbara." <laughs> As if like, "Oh, we were never going to figure that one out." Right. And also the idea of like <laughs> we are out in public and this person in a mask who's apparently supposed to be a crime fighter is like, "No, it's me, Barbara. You're Remember, just- I live in your I live in Wayne Manor with both <laughs> you." Duh. And you, Nick. Well, Shut up, bitch. What are you doing? We're well, out in public. Not only that, but again, she's wearing a domino mask. So yeah. apparently you can't figure that out. And I, d- I don't know if you guys know this, but Batman is supposed to be the world's greatest detective. I'm yes. just not. I'm just saying. He, among other things, outside of being the greatest uh, martial artist known to man, right. which was on great display in all of yeah. the fight scenes yeah. where he never used it. <laughs> So they they are on their way to go f- defeat Freeze. They apparently made a stop off and did a costume change, though. Yes, yeah, the costume. They get in the silver costume because they yeah. get in the weird silver and black suits. Wh- why? <laughs> <laughs> because, because they all need, need to match. Costume change so they can sell the silver and black Batman action. <laughs> this is the suit we wore for three minutes in the film. Is this the stealth mode? Maybe like if Freeze freezes everything, this is stealth <laughs> mode. For I was going to say he'll never notice us if we're in these shiny costumes in his ice world. <laughs> I think it was more of like a bonding exercise for the team. Hey guys, let's all wear matching suits. That way we'll feel like we're at one. We're I fighting gotta, together. I, gotta cha- I was going to say, I mean, Robin was already drowning, so his suit's completely soaked. Yes. He obviously needs to change. <laughs> yes. So they, they make it to the observatory and then you're having your big final confrontation where they're, they're fighting against uh, Freeze. And I, I could go into detail about it, but obviously the best thing that I can just say is they win. Right. Uh, there it is. Um, Bane, Bane has set bombs. Bane is fighting against Robin and Batgirl while Batman is fighting against Freeze. They all win. I'm pretty sure uh, Bane gets thrown off the top of the building, which is – I guess this is where them being on top of a giant statue comes into play. N- no, that- they uh, – remember? It was so ridiculous. They're, first of all, there's so many continuity errors. One shot, Bane's grabbing Barbara and Dick – and pulling him, right? He's pulling him from behind. It cuts to a Batman fighting freeze. It cuts back to Bane. And now Bane is pushing them up against the wall, just like turned uh-huh. around. And then somehow they go, uh, she goes, Dick, the tubes, go for the tubes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, yeah, that's barely, they, 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 they kick the tubes off the back of his head. No, they barely. <laughs> shrieks down into like the tiny version of himself. Again. But if that, that's all it, they barely touch the tube. It comes flying off. Like you, they barely hit it. It comes flying off. All the juice comes out. He shrieks down. I was like, that's all it took this whole time, you assholes. Uh, what were you waiting for? But it was hilarious because. The heat, I don't even think he touches it with his foot. It just like pops off. <laughs> so they they go <clears throat> to defeat uh, Freeze and I, they, they like break part of his suit and he's not able to fight anymore. And he's kind of just like kind of also like Bane. He's laying there just like incapacitated. So uh, they decide the best way that they can save Gotham is they use the satellites and the mirrors on them to realign and focus the sun's <laughs> light. Down onto Gotham. The the effects are so bad. This is something that would have been a plan of a supervillain in any other movie because I'm fairly certain that if you could magnify the sun's light and then just focus it on one spot, it would cause 
devastating consequences. Yeah, yes. like ants. Like you do to an ant, that's like what would have happened to the world. It's not going to just melt ice. No. It's going to burn the city. It would have torched everything. I'm, you know what, though, Matt? I'm still in. Right. I, I still don't. Uh, look, here, here's my, my science nitpicking. How does a fixed fucking telescope that's fixed in just like a one path to go up and down, it's like shooting. The ray is bending all over when the thing really can't move. And then it gets all crazy and well, they're flying around. Dark sides omega beams bend around. Come on, dude. They've got, I guess, DC diamonds. science. It's because of the diamonds. Yeah, man. Diamonds, <laughs> used, dude. I'm going to say they used boom tubes. Yeah. Oh, boom tubes. <laughs> Wait, I got to comment on these silver suits because I pulled up an image and this is the... Well, I love their jock straps. This the is the worst pieces on shitty that. fucking... None of this makes sense. First of all, overall, the Batman... His ears are way too fucking long in both suits. It's not only that they're long, they're ribbed. Like, they're ribbed, well, they're ribbed inside out for his pressure. It's, 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 like, it's I was going to say, it's like they have vents in them. Yes, but why? And I, guess, like, I guess because it gets real hot in there. Like, I love the long ears on the page. Certain artists draw the long ears great. But I, in the movie, in real life, it does not work. I think short ears is better. And there's so much black eye makeup. And I really didn't like George Clooney as Batman in any of this, so... Going on. Moving forward. <laughs> okay. I got to so oh, wait. You got to also point out there's not only bat nipples on the men, also on the woman. Alicia and she had, they had a boob shot and an ass shot and a cross shot yeah, for her. I was going to say she went through the exact same uh, uh, suit up montage. Well, I like that you, you know, got to prove that Batman and Robin are both like Ken dolls down there with the <laughs> crotch shot. Well, I was going to say, and you know that when they went through that, that suit up montage, just Joel Schumacher's just sitting there going, ugh. Oh, oh my god these are the mm. most horrible horrible <laughs> costume designs but uh so okay so they 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 save the, the the city by melting it with the the sunbeam uh and then they go over and uh freeze is still cursing out batman about having killed his wife and batman just happens to have a little it's basically like a smartphone on him <laughs> that he shows him uh security footage from in uh, Freeze's own lair, because apparently Freeze, I guess, didn't trust his own henchmen because no. he had closed circuit television. That shoot like uh, you know film cameras shot. Yeah, that, that shots. shoots like, that shoots like you know unbelievable footage for 1997. <laughs> this is again, it's like just like the 60s show. They would pull some shit like this. That shows that it was Poison Ivy that unplugged his wife. Yeah. Um. Now that now that Freeze is like, huh. Oh, that's so terrible. I, Batman, I believe, reveals, well, we got there in time and we saved her and she's still alive. And so now Freeze is, oh, so happy. Thank you, Batman, blah, blah, blah. And then he says to, to Freeze, well, don't thank me yet because, you know, my, I have a friend who's also suffering from McGregor syndrome. And he, he needs help. And you're the person who's ever gotten the closest to ever uh, solving this. And he's not far enough along yet that whatever you created wouldn't save his life. So Freeze, you know, decides, yeah, sure, great, I'll save him. And just happens to have the cure for McGregor syndrome. <laughs> it's already in done. The gauntlet of his suit. Wait, just, isn't just, he in prison at this point? No, no, no. They're oh. still in the observatory. Oh, there, he just has it there. Okay. Just has it on him all, at all times. Uh, in case anybody asks for it. <laughs> and so he takes these two little, like, glowing blue vials out, and he hands them over to Batman. And, of course, says, you know, take two of these and call me in the morning. Yeah, he says, <laughs> he actually, he says that! So they, they go back home. They plug the, the weird bad guy medicine into Alfred's IV bag. 
and this uh, saves him. Uh, oh, actually, you know what? No, they didn't kill Ivy because she winds up getting put into Gotham, and she into gets Arkham? put into or, sorry into Arkham. Right. She gets gets put into Arkham, and in Arkham, she is uh, made cellmates with Freeze. Oh, that's yeah. right. And of course, obviously, you're like, oh, well, now he's going to be looking for some revenge for what she did to his wife. But uh, all I thought to myself was, so Arkham is co like co-ed dorming when it comes to jail cells. <laughs> and like, it's, it, first of all, what is he going to be able to do to her if he's not in his cold beam? Right. So it's like, all she has to do is like sit over but in the corner. Wasn't it like, like heavily implied that like, there's going to be some man on woman violence in this cell. Well, it, it was, it was very implied that he was most likely going to be beating the crap out of her. Right. Beating the crap <laughs> oh, out of a woman. Yes. And what I, I know I saw one other site that put like, this is, beyond dark for the kind of movie that they made yes. but it's also prison so are they insinuating that he is going to rape her right <laughs> that, that's and what i, I remember just, is like it's like it, like you said beyond dark it's like they lock her in there and she's like quivering almost in fear like, of like this she man is, she is terrified of being in the room with him right and i mean granted he should be dude so it could just be that like he is going to beat the hell out oh, of her jesus right. that's dark uh, but Ice the seal poison. I was gonna say, and then and then we get there our final shot of our three heroes all running in slow, slow motion. motion. Yes, uh, with the and like, there's no set. The lights behind them. You see their yeah, silhouette. Just just a dun 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 dun, dun kind of crap. These fucking ridiculously long ears on that suit. It bugged <laughs> me the whole time. I was like, those ears are so long that, and that, so impractical. That's the two things that Imran got out of this movie that he hated. He goes, I I wish they would explain the pheromones. Uh, 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 and his ears are too goddamn oh, long. His ears too. Are there, so everything tall. else though was fine for Imran. Just so you guys. I'm know. with you though. The rest of the way is good. Wow! Wow! That uh, that movie killed the franchise for about uh, what eight years, seven years. It killed DC for a while, right? I mean, we went yeah. over this history. There, there was. I was going to say there was only one other movie that happened between uh, Batman and Robin and Batman Begins, and that was Catwoman. Yeah, that didn't help any. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, listen! Isn't this fucking shit awesome? Would it be great if someone actually like liked it enough to actually maybe support us? How about that, Imran? Did you ever think about that for one second? Well, look, listener, if you like what you're hearing so far, we do have a way for you to support us. And how the fuck do they do that? Go on to jockandnerd.com slash Patreon, or you can go on to patreon.com slash jockandnerd, which is our virtual tip jar. It works both ways. Listener, support us for any amount. You're going to get access to awesome bonus content. Rugs has got mini episodes, instant reactions to movies, more geeky audio than you can shake a geek stick at. Or a geek stick at. Oh, boy. Oh, shit. <laughs> so go on to patreon.com slash jockandnerd and donate today. In a world where so many podcasts offer TV and movie news, Along comes another one, filled to the brim with podcasty goodness that is only slightly better at best. Admit it, you're always looking for a new brand of meaningless movie nonsense in your podcast diet. Look for the 365 Flicks podcast on Twitter, iTunes, Stitcher, and all good third-party podcast apps. You can also swing by the Facebook page. Come join in on the adventures of Kev, a pissy ex-video store clerk. And Chris, a Scottish Whedon Hall. We are your vocal heroes of pissy opinion. 
We bring you all the latest TV and movie news, reviews and general geeky rants. As well as a bunch of top fives that you really won't care about. So whether you're Team Iron Man or Team Cap, you're Team Batman or Team Superman, drop on by the 365 Flicks Podcast, where the Chris vs. Kev Civil War never stops. This is the podcast you're looking for. Doc and Nerd All right, Dalhauer, thank you very much for that very entertaining trip back into the garish world of Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin from 1997. You know, an, an homage to Batman 66. That's what's all it is. He just brought it back to life. So now, as with the title of this episode and the series, Maddie, what the fuck happened with the Batman and Robin? Well, uh, what the fuck happened with Batman and Robin, honestly, is almost the, well, I wouldn't say the exact same, but it's definitely close to being the same kind of story they had with Fantastic Four. Oh, mm, okay. So it kind of goes back to the first two Batman movies that Tim Burton made. When Batman, the first Batman came out in 1989, it was a huge hit. Warner Brothers was very happy with Tim Burton and the movie he made, so they offered him to do a sequel. And he said he would do the sequel if Warner Brothers would let him have more creative control over it. They said fine. And what they got was Batman Returns. And Warner Brothers was horrified by it. <laughs> it was a little too far It was on the end of the spectrum, right? Far too dark for their liking. Right. It was very weird, very strange. Well, you and had they, Danny DeVito biting off people's noses, it, it, right? Danny DeVito biting off people's noses, walking around with flipper hands, bleeding green goo out of his mouth yeah. as he died at the end. A yeah. perfect Tim Burton movie, though. Yeah, it, oh, it was it was uh, quintessential Tim Burton, yep. but the problem was was that WB basically said, there's no way we can market this shit to kids. Right. Um, it even got to a point where McDonald's had pulled out of doing a toy deal with their Happy Meals to connect to the movie. So... That happened. I mean, Batman Returns still made a decent amount of money. It was still successful. So Tim Burton came back to Warner Brothers and goes, all right, great. So that movie did good. For the third one, here's what I want to do. And they were like, whoa, pump the brakes, Tim. <laughs> we're going to make a third movie, but we're not going to make it with you. Ooh. And they sent him on his way. Now, I don't really know why it is that they chose Joel Schumacher to do the movie when they made Batman Forever. Hmm. Because outside of Batman Forever, the only movies Joel Schumacher had done were these really kind of stripped down and gritty dramas. And they were actually really good. And they were all very good. He did The Client. Um, he did Fallen Down with Michael, Dag Michael Douglas. Oh, and he did A yeah. Time to Kill after he did Batman in between, Forever. Yeah. Flatliners. Oh. He had done Flatliners in 1990. The, yeah. the Lost Boys, St. Elmo's Fire. I mean, these were... These he are was, all movies that Imran was what? In your in your prime when you I mean, saw these, these were uh, these are great. He was one of the great like eighties directors. And the, the truth is, is I feel like if you look at Lost Boys, you see everything that went into Batman and Robin and Batman Forever. Oh, like that yeah. really garish, like strangely colored mm. gang mentality. Everyone's riding around on dirt bikes with like you know the ultimate warrior flare like yeah. a you know, flare hanging off of them and everything like that That's a that good all point. went into his later movies with the batman series but then he does falling down which is completely opposite it's an amazing movie it's such I mean, yeah that's the thing is like he in the 90s his catalog other than batman were all of these just like deep character dramas about you know people with 
horrible things that happen to them and the ways that they try and deal with it. I mean, he made Batman forever. He then went on to make a movie about um, a court case in which uh, Samuel L. Jackson is defending himself for murdering his daughter's rapist. Yeah, straight and he goes directly drama. into Batman. Yeah. And Robin. <laughs> I, and yeah, like I did not know until this moment that he did a time to kill. And I can't believe he did that movie. And then did in between, these other ones. yeah, in between and eight millimeter, he does eight millimeter and that's a pretty decent movie too. Even like What's even movies. better is the fact that he did all of these movies with a key Eva Goldsman oh. writing movies for him. Wow, okay. Eva Goldsman wrote A Time to Kill. He wrote The Client, and he wrote both of the Batman movies. Man. So it's like, I think part of it is, is that the fact that the two of them kept working together, and like every time that they were working together, things were going great, that I'm sure Warner Brothers was just like, well, you guys have hit it out of the park every time. Let's see what you got. And they just were like, let's fucking throw it at the wall and see what happens. We're going to give you Batman. Now, a big part of that comes from the fact that after they had the success with Batman Forever, Warner Brothers decided they wanted to uh, fast track a sequel with Batman and Robin. So wait, Batman Forever, although successful, wasn't critically acclaimed, or was it? It was. I think it was mixed. mixed I'm pretty okay. sure it got mostly like positive reviews because it's like, oh, you know, it, it still kind of feels like the same Batman, but it's a little bit, it's a little different. It's got a little more uh, heart to it, and it's mm-hmm. it's got a little more of a '90s, you know, spin to it. And it, right. it was much more of a blockbuster mm-hmm. than the yes, other. yes. And what is there any reason why there's the the Batman actor changes at this point? Val now, Kilmer the biggest reason George between Clooney. Kilmer becoming George Clooney was number one, Schumacher did not like working with Val Kilmer. Okay, why did they largely go to Val Kilmer? Do you know? They, I honestly think it was exactly why they did anybody else. That it was like he was a big name at that point. He was hot at the time. Warner Brothers was like, well, with a big name like Kilmer on the picture, you know, we'll be able to get a lot more of a crowd in. And I'm sure Val Kilmer's response was probably the same of like, they want me to be Batman. I'm going to say yes. Mm-hmm. I remember after seeing Batman Forever, you're like, okay, this was this was good. I didn't expect some of these things. It didn't kill the franchise. Val Kilmer was actually a pretty decent Batman. He was compared to Clooney. He's actually I like him. <laughs> The funny thing is, the way I've usually described it is, I mean, I personally still feel like my Batman is Michael Keaton, just because it's the one that me I too. remember yes. when I was a child. Yeah. Like, so he was quintessential to me. When it came to Val Kilmer, as time went on, I've always said he played a great Batman, but I think he was just a little underwhelming as Bruce Wayne. Okay. Because he was still very, like, he just did very much a Batman thing. Like, he was just a, a dark brooding and, and, like, you know, kind of depressed Bruce Wayne. Okay, yep. Um, I said Clooney with being Clooney was a great Bruce Wayne because he was just that suave playboy, right? but he was not a good Batman because he just played George Clooney in a Batman costume. (laughs) Yes. It totally takes you out of it. But, um, so they, initially with the Batman movies, there was about a three year turnaround between each movie because they had. Uh, 1989 was the first one, 1992 was the next one, and then then 1995 with Batman Forever. So they wanted to fast track it because they really wanted to get another movie out there because they were really big on the idea of we're going to make this one even more family friendly. Schumacher said he didn't want to do a dark and tortured Batman anymore because he felt that they would, they had kind of beat everybody over the head with that with the past three movies. It was also something – it was also part of reason as to why he wanted to get rid of Val Kilmer. He said that it, they, the two of them apparently had difficulty working together on Batman Forever. Val Kilmer was making The Saint at that point when they wanted to make Batman and Robin, so he couldn't actually get out of that contract. Schumacher basically says that Kilmer sort of quit and was sort of fired from Batman because he couldn't 
uh, agree to do the con. He couldn't, you know, get out of the Saint in order to do Batman, and kill. And uh, Schumacher didn't want him there anyway. Mm. So instead, they wound up getting George Clooney. Initially, Schumacher wanted Billy Baldwin to play Batman. Oh, Billy Baldwin! Oh, boy. which would have been the most '90s of Batmans. I, because wow. Because Billy Baldwin's career didn't make it out of the 90s. No, no, it didn't. Yes. Um, uh, now, apparently, there is a, a – from the, the website I was talking about before, it, it's claimed that Joel Schumacher wound up hiring George Clooney because he was uh, randomly decided to draw a Batman mask on George's face on the From Dust Till Dawn poster oh. and said, he looks just like him. Great. I want him. And that was it. And apparently that was it. That was all they needed to get him to be in the movie. They called up Clooney, said, we want you to play Batman. He said, yes. They said, we'll work with you to make sure you can still also be making ER at the same time. And that was it. He was in. Okay. Yeah, this is prime time ER Clooney. They are doing everything in their power to get this movie up and going as soon as possible. Now, here's a funny thing. They, according to Wikipedia, they had considered at one point having Patrick Stewart play the role of Mr. Freeze. Oh my god! And if you were going to do the original Mister Freeze, yeah, like the the Paul Dini's you know uh, Heart of Ice Mister Freeze, holy crap! Would Patrick Stewart have knocked that out of the park? If it was not just a two dimensional character, an actual tragic figure, yeah, right, yeah, Patrick Stewart would have been amazing. Now that bit of casting right there. One of the great things was when they were looking to try and get. Another one is they wanted Patrick Stewart. There was at one point they were even thinking about trying to get uh, Anthony Hopkins. Uh, Um, They settled on Schwarzenegger. (laughs) They settled for Schwarzenegger. All right. And apparently if they couldn't get Schwarzenegger, they were going to go after Hulk Hogan. Oh, Oh, boy. God. Okay. So just imagine how much worse this movie could have been. It could have been Billy Baldwin, Hulk Hogan. And uh, God knows for, who else. For as much crap as Schwarzenegger gets, he's actually a real actor in comparison to Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. And here's the funny thing is that it would have been Billy Baldwin. It would have been Hulk Hogan. And it still would have been Alicia Silverstone because she was the only choice they had for the role. Oh, shit. <laughs> for the role of Barbara Wilson, not Barbara Gordon. Barbara Wilson. Apparently Schumacher just decided, I want Alicia Silverstone. Get me her. Um, and then according to Wikipedia, they, they claim that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was apparently supposed to appear in the movie at some point. Oh, snap. They who, don't mention as who. who it it never made it out of conceptualization, I guess. Let's not forget Coolio is in this movie. Yes, Coolio makes an, an appearance as the bookie at the underground street, ga- or street bike race. There's no way to just so 90s. instantly date a movie by just know, putting a 90s pop star in there. So 90s. But um, so really what the movie suffered from a lot was just Warner Brothers wanted it out now. Two like, years, man. They need it done in two years. And That's her, and they were like, we need another movie tomorrow. That's basically. ridiculous. And their big thing, again, was we want it to be family friendly. This is, you know, because of the whole I think like the whole backlash that they had with uh, Batman Forever. Warner Brothers was dead set on the idea that Batman movies are for kids because comic books are for kids. And what do kids like? They like toys. And what do we need to do? We need to sell them a shitload of toys. It's amazing because that first Batman 89 movie, for us, we were like, they finally did a dark Batman. And we thought it was 
dark and serious, and you look back at it, and it's kind of it's kind of wacky. But yeah, I was going to say it has its own camp to it. Yes, it's it has its own camp. But then this movie just destroys all of that and takes it right back to Batman sixty six. I somehow. think the problem is is that the camp from Batman eighty nine is that it's it's because it's nineteen eighty nine. Yes. It's this campiness of being a combination between this 40s aesthetic that Tim Burton made in order to kind of pay homage to the beginning of Batman and this late 80s aesthetic that mm-hmm. was to bring it into a modern day. He, you know, he did very old school sound effects for it. The guns all sound like they're straight out of like, you know, 1940s, like, yeah. you know, serials and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but it was also like, you know, the fact that it was an entire Prince soundtrack. Yeah, then you got Prince music, which is like instantly. This, this is the camp yeah. that you see. The problem was is that Batman and Robin tried to create the camp uh, yeah. that they wanted to use. And that was their issue was that they, it wasn't dating itself. They were trying to make it goofy as fuck. They definitely succeeded. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's the thing is that uh, all about goals. You set your goals and you hit them. <laughs> yeah, Schumacher had even said that he had set out to make it, the movie an homage to the 1960s television series. Yep. Well, he nailed that. And used a lot of the artwork of Golden Age Batman from Dick Sprang. Yeah. As his uh, inspiration for a lot of things like you know the the characters and the costumes and all that stuff. You see all that. You also see like weird the weird uh, wire work physics, like some of the action scenes where the guys they're jumping. Well, like the they fact float. they have in the in the opening scene, there's you know a, a security guard at the museum that comes up to try and stop Mister Freeze, and he you know for whatever reason his his freeze ray gun is now sitting on top of a dinosaur like. 40 yeah. feet oh yeah it's just so freeze just grabs the guy by the collar and throws him upward and this guy flies up into the air knocks freeze's gun down and then the guy never comes down <laughs> where did the guy go <laughs> like he legitimately launched him into space oh it's so bad <laughs> one of freeze's many powers if you didn't read the comics he could fly and he's got super strength <laughs> it's, it's he apparently he's He's got the super strength. He's got the ice gun. He has the ability to fly. He is also just very uh, trusting of everybody, it seems. He's naive. Yes, <laughs> highly naive. For being, for being a doctor yeah. in some sort of major science, he just takes everything at face value. <laughs> he's a modern-day Drex. But he's a hell of a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it was really, I feel like it was just, it was a, a big part of, them being rushed into production to get this movie made. Um, the the producers just basically saying, we need to sell toys. We need to appeal to kids. This needs to be big, bright, colorful, and, and you know full of explosions. And I honestly, I can only imagine that the, the reason the script turned out the way it did was Akiva Goldsman either didn't care about what he was doing, because at this point he's making big bank on this movie, because the fact that he's been working with Schumacher the whole time, I'm pretty sure every movie they've put out has been through Warner Brothers Entertainment. This is almost like their Dark Knight Returns in a way, or sorry, Dark Knight Ooh. Rises. Yeah. In that it's like, we've done so well for so long, we can fucking do anything and we're going to get away with it. Yeah. And I, want, I, I wonder if Goldsman tr- like tested that. It was just like, what can I put into this movie that will make them at some point go, Wait a second. What? 
<laughs> and apparently it didn't take them until the box office return to recognize what a pile of garbage they were dealing with. Oh, really? How do you not question – like you look at the set, the sets in this movie. Being on set of this movie – you must – you can tell that this is not going to be good. Like how did anybody – That's the thing is like all of the actors could tell. Yeah. Like like Chris O'Donnell could tell that this movie was just slapshod and was not being done well and was like, you know, written poorly. I have a – like George Clooney could tell. He's still apologizing. I'm sure, Schwar- I'm sure Schwarzenegger could tell. But for Schwarzenegger, his big reason for being in it was he wanted to have a global presence as an actor. Because yeah. all of all of his movies, like, sure, he's big in Austria because Austria knows about him. And he's big in America because he's done all these big action movies throughout the 80s. But, like, Schwarzenegger wasn't a sellable name in, like, Japan mm. and stuff like that. But being part of a Batman movie was enough to get him known everywhere. I think a lot to, bl- the, to blame also is... Just the 90s, the late 90s. Yeah, themselves. that's a weird time. I was just thinking about like. This is the epitome of that time. Right. Like, you're, if you're. I'm thinking back to that time of filmmaking and movie making and, and blockbuster making. The same year Speed 2 had also come out. Well, uh, <laughs> I was yes. gonna say, and I'm pretty sure 1997 was also the year The Rock came out. Yeah, I mean, if you think of like blockbuster movies at this time, there's still. It was still that kind of mindset of. Let's just put a bunch of action in it. Let's get these Lots big of names. Explosions. And, let's, was, and let's worry about the plot later. Yeah. I think the best way to describe it is this was post-Bad Boys Hollywood. Right. So because you know Michael Bay had made it onto the scene and had shown that a lot of great visual things without a whole lot of really – you know, set in stone story elements. Right. It could make you a lot of money. Would sell. Yeah. I mean, this also, it kind of reflects the state of the mainstream comic books in the late 90s. You are seeing the same thing. Similarly, over-rendered, oh, all I, style, no substance. I'm so surprised that they didn't go for a Batman that had giant pauldrons and yeah. just pouches. <laughs> and all pouches, yes. Rob Leefield pouches everywhere. Just pouches and zippers. And a knight hat and more <laughs> knight stuff. So and at least five belts. Like This yeah. isn't to apologize for I'm just thinking back in the 90s and it's almost as if you couldn't help yourself. It's a victim a of movie. the times yeah. of the period that was going in. So well, really, I was going to say this was this was a point where by the time this movie was coming out, like Marvel was going under. Yeah, like, yeah. It's comic books, yeah. comic books were considered to be damn near a dead art form. The bubble had burst right about that. So it was it was there, there was such a huge saturation in the concept. There was such this crazy overhaul in just style over substance. This was a point where yeah, like Image Comics was big with things like Spawn. Um, you know, that Rob Leefield style was everywhere. Right. But I, I would argue that this was necessary. Why? Because out of the ashes of this monstrosity, years later, you get Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins. That could only uh, – this movie is going to help that movie going forward. You know? Well, now, and the funny thing is, is that when they were making Batman and Robin – Apparently, the executives and the producers at Warner Brothers were so happy with what they were seeing out of the dailies for the movie that they immediately already greenlit the idea of doing another Batman movie with Schumacher. And they were looking at, like, which villain? Scarecrow? They were looking to do one that it, it had two different names. It was either going to be Batman Triumphant or oh, Batman yeah. Unchained. Oh, okay. yeah. But no matter what, it was going to have Scarecrow in it. Yeah. And due to Scarecrow being in it, they wanted to do a scene where – 
uh, Batman would be under his fear toxin and would fight a hallucination of the Joker uh. and wanted to have Jack Nicholson come back. Oh, shit. To be the Joker in it again. As the hallucination. As the hallucination. <laughs> also planned on introducing Harley Quinn into the movie as being the Joker's daughter out for revenge. Ooh. You know, because I was thinking, like, uh, Uma would have made a pretty good Harley Quinn Ooh. in the 90s. Uma Thurman herself as oh. Poison Ivy. Um, but I was going to say, weren't the titles for three and four also switched? Because the titles are weird. It makes more weird sense for fuck. the third movie to be called Batman, Batman and Robin. And then the fourth, and then the fourth movie to be called Batman Forever. Duh. <laughs> Well, not only the forever, oh, like the pun, but like, but like the legacy of because now this is the third oh, person in the Bat family that's joining them. It's the Bat legacy is yeah. going to live forever. That, well, and I think it's funny is that I mean, number one, to, to if they have if they decided to have made it Batman forever, <laughs> that would have happened. That would have been so nineties, and they would have greenlit that immediately. Oh yeah. But yeah, I agree. To the idea that having the movie that introduces Robin is called Batman Forever, and then the the movie that introduces the fact that Batman and Robin don't work well together at all, and they yeah. need to have a third in there to just kind of be like a buffer between the two of them it's is called Batman sense. and Robin. Even, even my seven or eight year old self at that time was like, Dad, what's wrong with this title? Why is it like this? <laughs> why, why is it not like, Batman and Robin and Batgirl? And Batgirl. That should <laughs> be the title. Yeah. And I guarantee they were probably like, well, number one, that's too long. And two, we're not putting a woman on here. It's still the 90s. But man, if if that movie didn't kill the franchise, uh, I don't think Nolan would have been able to take the risk and and bring it back. The way yeah, after after they had the 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 terrible dropout of the poor box office um, being critically panned. And the funny thing is, apparently uh, bashing this movie was one of the big things that uh, launched bleeding. Uh, what is it? Bleeding cool. Oh, oh no really? That's being like a huge popular site because oh, shit. their whole thing was just like everything was. Well, at least it's not as bad as Batman and Robin and shit like that. Like they were bashing the movie for years after it, came it was out. their thing oh, uh, that's to the point where I think even Schumacher had said like that. That website was part of the reason why our film never stood a chance. <laughs> oh, wow. It's a bit of a cultural phenomenon. It is one of those movies so bad. Everyone must experience it. But he – so Schumacher after a while – now, number one, in the DVD commentary for the movie, oh. Joel Schumacher apologizes oh, no. for making the movie. He should just be going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm it, sorry, the whole like, time. Everyone was like, oh, it's it's like the joke The Simpsons did about like the postman. Yes, where, it's like, Kevin Costner. The, the DVD commentary is just Kevin Costner going, I'm so sorry. I'm really sorry. God. I mean I'm you can you can blame him a lot for the – I mean the direction and the tone and the acting. I don't think he had a choice though. But the, the script – I mean, your boy Goldsman, is that his name? Akiva. Uh, Akiva. Akiva Gold- I mean, he's got an equal role in how What's shitty he this phoning is. phoning it in? I mean, he, he must have been sniffing uh, uh, markers or some <laughs> shit while trippy. he wrote this one. The whole thing is trippy. It's, and that's the thing. Is, it's why I said I feel like – well, number one is that Goldsman wrote it. But apparently he and uh, Schumacher were like laying out the whole concept while they were making A Time to Kill. Whoa. And like the only thing I could think was like, okay, so they're making the movie A Time to Kill. It's this dark, like very just, you know, depressing story about rape and murder and, you know, the the corrupt justice system and so on and so forth that I feel like the two of them just had to purge and like they needed something (laughs) that was just stupid and bubblegum and just 
easy to, to, to be like, we need something to just feel better yeah. at the end of the day. That makes sense. And that's like, that's what Batman and Robin would they, come out. It all came out there. Just, I mean, literally the dialogue is nothing but cliches and puns. It's, it's like, like you said, there's one real line in the whole movie. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Okay, so I have I actually have the 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 um the little transcript of Joel Schumacher's apology in the 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 uh, commentary. It's a good way good way to wrap it up. <laughs> yeah, it says uh, if there's anybody watching this that let's say loved Batman Forever and went into Batman and Robin with great anticipation, if I've disappointed them in any way, then I really want to apologize because it wasn't my intention. My intention was just to entertain them. Wow. Oh, well, at least uh, he apologized. Uh, I'll take it back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think he's uh, he's redeemed his career since then. Obviously. Oh yeah. yeah I mean, honestly, one of my favorite yeah. one of my favorite movies from the early two thousands was Phone Booth. Yes, I brought up. Phone. I was surprised he did Phone Booth. Phone Booth is great with the Colin Farrell, Colin Farrell and yeah. uh, uh, Sutherland. Keeper yeah. Sutherland. Keeper doing the voice. Keeper's in there. Yeah. Yep. Kiefer Sutherland does actually amazing voices for other movies too. <laughs> and he does, he's done commercials all the time and he's directed some House of Cards. And so, I mean, wow, it was just the time and the period. And uh, I just remember all those crappy toys. It is, like we said, we think we, I think we've said quintessential 90s comic book at this time. Oh, yeah. Quintessential summer, summer blockbuster, quintessential the state of comics at all this time. the mcdonald's cups and the fucking 7-eleven slurpee cups and uh, oh and I think, wow I think one of my favorite things from the the various um bad reviews for the movie was apparently it's uh, the san francisco chronicle that said george clooney is the big zero of this film oh, and should and should go down in history as the george lazenby of the series <laughs> wow <laughs> which uh that he was the uh superman wasn't he no, he was, the James he, was, Bond. he was the one who played James Bond only once. The first, yeah, the one, one and done James Bond. Boy, yeah, I don't know. After this, I was like, I, don't, I, I'm super, I did not like Clooney. I thought I liked him a lot better, and I watched it again. And I was like, oh, this is bad. Matt, thanks for breaking this down and getting to the bottom of what the fuck happened with Batman and Robin. Will there be an accompanying blog post over at uh, Ginger Geek Blogs? Well, that is how the collaboration works, Yay. so there will be. And uh, where is the – what's the website they can find that at? So I have launched a, a new version of the site. Um, it's still very much in its infancy, but it is now gingergeekblogs.wordpress.com. There you go. Right on. I'll have the links in the show notes to this and to uh, – you want to give out looking your – Looking forward uh, to that, by the way. Yeah, you want to give, yes. give out your Twitters so people can uh, write you how awesome this show was? Or how For much Twitter, you suck. Yes. So I was going to say it's one of the things I, I learned when I was still writing back at Nerdist is you know, I give out my Twitter uh, for at Matt Delhauer. And like, oh, yeah, you know, come over and we'll, we'll talk about the, the story and just getting so many people like the story was fucking stupid. <laughs> like – you uh, you got this bit wrong, asshole. And I'm like, oh, I fucking hate the internet. That's what happens sometimes. <laughs> Listen, uh, that's what you do. You put this stuff out there, and uh, you know those people. That's like one percent of the people who actually enjoy it. You just gotta uh, don't let that bug you. No, in. it's it's the one percent that interact with you that kind of suck. Yeah. <laughs> What's even weirder is like I'll have points where I legitimately have people that'll like um, retweet or or uh, respond to a story I wrote for Nerdist from like. 10 months ago <laughs> and it's just like i'll randomly get like a tweet where it's just like you know from from somebody at matt delhauer i disagree <laughs> I'm like, you're like okay what? What, are you, 
What do you so want to go back? And I'm like, what? Are it's like it what shows, does he disagree with? <laughs> it shows like what their response was to it. It's still like you know the nerdist story of like you know oh blow the you know the the ten reasons blah 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 blah. I'm like, oh god, really? You why are you reading that now? How did you find that? <laughs> This stuff lives on forever on the interwebs. That's forever. the beauty of it. Yeah. And, uh, listener, you can find this show at jockandnerd.com. Listen, I don't know what episode number this is, but when you listen to it, you will. And to find the show notes, you just go to jockandnerd.com slash whatever episode number and have links to all of Matt's uh, stuff there. Yeah. And if you uh, what, if you have thoughts and opinions on Batman versus Robin, maybe it was your favorite movie. Maybe you think this is the best Batman movie ever. Maybe, yeah. Maybe the DC... Uh um, apologists will come out like they have for when be critically uh, lambasted Batman v Superman, and they'll defend this film yeah. as well. Where are you guys now with the Batman versus Superman uh, Robin? Batman right. and Robin. Let's see what, how you gonna defend this. Let us know. Just go to jockandnerd.com slash contact for all the ways to contact us. Yes, you can also if you liked this show, which we hope you do, uh, go on to jockandnerd.com slash review and give us a nice rating and review on iTunes because it only helps the show and it shows your support. And of course, tell a friend. Send this show to someone who loves this movie. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Send it to a Joel Schumacher fan. Right, Matt? Matt, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Oh, guys, I always love being on. Awesome, man. <laughs> Thank you, listener, for listening. This has been the Jock and Nerd Podcast. My name is Imran. My name's Anthony. He's the Jock. He's a nerd. We'll hear you next time. <laughs> Podcast? Who cares if Jock said that? Jock and Nerd!